South Connection, welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast, number 45. Um, Happy New Year. We are now in 2022, amazingly. Uh, But in this timeline, I'm still in 2002, in December of 2002, and uh, I will be bringing in um, a first-time guest, which is always fun. When I'm 45 episodes in, I bring in somebody new. It is my good pal, Rocco. Rocco Martone. What is up, Rocco? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's um, uh, good to have you on the show. So since it is your first time, um, l- l- let's take a quick stroll back. So it's um, let's say it's December 2002. I'm trying to think what would have been in the cultural zeitgeist. Um, I imagine SARS. like uh, <laughs> SARS. <laughs> SARS. So the SARS pandemic is uh, sweeping, <laughs> sweeping uh, the world. Uh, I'd imagine Eminem is extremely popular. Um, new, new Metal has... Um, kind of um, lifted up uh, butt rock as it starts to take over the uh, rock culture. But on the wrestling landscape, of course, we are here in the uh, the early stages of the Ruthless Aggression era. Um, where were you as a wrestling fan here in, in 2002, Rocco? Were you still, like, would you have been watching in 2002 these, these Raws and Smackdowns? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I lost some of my uh, friends that were the Attitude Era guys, and then I had gotten right. a... I got a job at a Barnes and Noble where oh. a lot of these people I discovered like watched wrestling in there. So I had like a new kind of crew and I hadn't really had a crew. It had been like more of a solitary pursuit for like a few years at that point. So it was kind of cool to go into this new place and uh, everyone was kind of watching and it was kind of a cool week to week, you know, Friday, go to work and Tuesday and, you know, people were talking about it. And uh, I had full access to all the magazines, you know. Oh, so, true. Yeah. I had like a, a per, I got to permanently borrow many of those magazines, uh, and uh, so yeah, like I could watch. You know, I, it was cool. To be, I could be very immersed in the everything that was going on. It was very cool. 
I miss magazines. I really oh, like that. Just not just wrestling, but like I just miss like uh, like we didn't have Barnes and Noble much by me, but we had Books a Million, which is the <laughs> same shit. Yeah. But um, I remember going there when I was like a teenager and you'd like go with your friends and they would have like a coffee shop or something. Mm-hmm. I remember I would spend like 45 minutes and you just go to the magazines and just read the magazines without actually buying them, like skim through. And usually like whether it be the video game ones or the, the wrestling ones and just kind of look through and be like, look, it's not to buy. I just sat here for an hour and they were <laughs> they're usually cool with it. Like the, they would never really tell you anything, which is cool. Oh, no, like people would just go with a stack of magazines and sit in the cafe at that store for four or five hours. And that was just, you know, we didn't really care. It was not a big deal. As a collector, you know, I always wanted them to have them. So I was always getting those film magazines and horror magazines and music magazines. So, you know, I was, you know, I had it was a great resource for me because I was interested in all that stuff. Right. So we'll get to see how how this all holds up for you then, um, since it is. I guess a, a blast, um, blast from the past for you, given that I'd imagine you probably have not watched these since, if I had no, to guess. Absolutely. Right. Right. Which is usually um, how it goes on this podcast. But uh, yeah, so we'll um, we'll dive right in. I have the news and notes. So we actually have quite a, an interesting uh, opening news note, which is not really anything to do with WWE, but it's one of my favorites. Whenever I could find um, it's a wrestling re- related crime on these uh, news notes on here, I'm always like kind of fascinated at the infamous XPW one with, um, you know, the whole saga of, um, I got, I can't remember who it was now, but, uh, you Messiah. know, nearly get yes, you should get nearly getting his penis chopped off and all that. So we have one almost like that, but it comes from uh, New Japan. So Hiroshi Tanahashi, one of New Japan's most promising young stars, was stabbed this week at, week by his girlfriend as he attempted to break up with her. As a press time, Tanahashi is still hospitalized but expected to make a full recovery. His girlfriend, 20, uh, 23-year-old Hitomi Hara, was a cable TV interview on the Samurai TV network. It's a great name and did lots of interviews for new Japan. She was picked up by police later that day and charged with attempted murder. She allegedly stabbed him twice in the right side of his back with a nine inch kitchen knife. Tanahashi was probably lucky to survive, escape the apartment. Hera, who was completely nude, followed him outside and began screaming at him in front of witnesses. Tanahashi jumped at his motor scooter and was able to drive himself to a nearby hospital. One of the stab wounds was close to piercing his lung. And doctors said if his back wasn't so muscular, he may have died. Um, so um, I'm imagining this is like a typical Friday for you, Rocker. <laughs> Especially back in 2002. Yeah, it was uh, pretty common. <laughs> I did um, get once a ride, I picked up by cops outside of a girl's house and they they picked me up and just said, where do you live? And then they dropped me off literally on the outskirts of the town I lived in and just left me there. And that was right around this time. actually. So, And it was because I was drunk and I was supposed to go to a Raw with her little nephew. And she's like, you, you're drunk. Why'd you show up here drunk? And we got a big argument. She called the cops. <laughs> and the cops just left me roaming Bloomfield, New Jersey, <laughs> which is not it's a small pretty- town. And I just had to call my friend. And he pick, came and picked me up. And uh, I said, you have to bring me back to my girlfriend's house right now because I have to finish this <laughs> argument. And, uh, yeah, um, if she had stabbed me, I would have died, though, because I do not have a muscular back like Tanahashi. Yeah, luckily for him, he's a rip, but. You know, I figured you would. I figured you'd be able to find a connection here um, to this. Um, I mean, think of always what, like these uh, true crime wrestling stories. I mean, that's a major guy, right? Like, think of the difference yeah. in wrestling landscape. You know, that'd be like a John Cena being stabbed in this. You know, right around the same time. <laughs> Nikki Bella stabs him because he uh, doesn't want to marry her. <laughs> or that, like, the ex-wife that he totally embarrassed by being a cheating dude. <laughs> she stabbed him back in this day. Right. 
All right, uh, not a whole lot more going on. We have some random notes. Kurt Angle is having his knee scoped after this month's paper. He'll likely be out until the Rumble. So um, I'm sure that's probably something he should be out for for about five months, and he's going to spend about three days out. Uh, Kevin Nash's torn quad recovery is going far slower than expected, and it's too soon to even have a vague idea of when he'll be back, but it's going to be a long time. Uh, several top wrestlers on Raw have been told Steve Austin will be returning soon. Uh, so I mentioned in the last episode that it looked like they were finally starting to mend the fences there. So we may see Stone Cold's return soon. Raven's new storyline is based on a gimmick from the movie Seven. And it's something Raven has been pitching forever. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. I don't think we see it on these shows, but apparently he's talking about something that I'll a see lot. soon. Yeah, he's right. mentioned that a lot. That was a that was a Sunday Night Heat thing. I think he did for a little while. I think he got like through two of the sins or something like that. <laughs> and they I, just like cut it off. Yeah, something like that. he's talked about it. Like it's his grand design. I don't know if it had anything to do with that time he had that ninja that used to come out and like I don't know if you've ever seen that, but yeah, I, I, he's you could find a lot of him talking about this seven sins thing. If that's Ryan about it, because Ryan apparently is like the guru of the uh, the C the B and C shows. Um, the Velocity uh, Master, as we talked about in the last pod. Um, WWE recently attempted to purchase the Mid-South UWF video library from Bill Watts' ex-wife. I know this was like an ongoing thing for years um, about them trying to, as they were uh, trying to buy up all this footage in this time frame after, you know, buying WCW. But I remember this was like the biggest holdout because they had to try and get Bill Watts' wife to, to sell them that. So apparently this is where it starts. And they got it, right? Um, Right, eventually they got it, the, and the then big, finally, <laughs> no, go ahead. As I was gonna say, the big one is the, uh, the the stuff Waller owns, which is kind of funny. He's never sold that, even though I think that's why they keep re-signing him, right? To hope to maybe get that footage because he owns all that. What is it, USWA and the? Uh, right, right. Like he owns all that, but it's weird that he still has not sold it to them. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he has a show that he watches it on Saturday nights in Memphis. Like I think there's a Jerry Waller, wow. like yeah, there's some kind of thing where he kind of like hosts it like Elvira style. And plays old footage. I I know it existed at one point. I don't know if it still does. It's amazing. I would watch that. Oh yeah, <laughs> Jerry Lawler, Hawaii. Um <laughs> And then uh, in our um in our same last, amount of black uh, hair dye in their hair. <laughs> exactly same color. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan Jones has been working WWE house shows, and Vince McMahon unsurprisingly loves him and wants to book him as a huge unbeatable monster immediately. So we will we're getting rumblings of you know the man that would dominate the industry for the next few <laughs> decades, Nathan Jones. It's it's funny with ancillary guys like that, where if I just said, give me three words, like someone said three words about like, you know, random dudes like that. And it's like, Nathan Jones, you'd be like, you know, Australian, whatever, failed WrestleMania match and nipple leakage, right? <laughs> right. The guy with the lactate, like, that's what yeah. everyone knows. Like every wrestling fan knows that that guy has leaky nipples and is from Australia, and not much else is known about. And he was a prisoner, so maybe those are the three things. <laughs> They're a criminal. So yeah, we all this, know that guy has milky nipples. So there's a fun story in here too, where he mentions that um, when he's doing his ring entrance, he does like the Brock jump from the floor to the ring apron. And I guess like Brock saw him doing it, and it was like not very happy that he was kind of stealing his stuff and like confronted him. And it told him that's like his gimmick and not to do it anymore. So I would I would like to be a fly on the wall for the uh, Nathan Jones Brock Lesnar uh, confrontation. A chest to chest. Right. 
Right. Again, the two who have become the two titans of, <laughs> you know, sports entertainment. Brock Lesnar, par- Nathan par- parallel Jones. careers, right? Like Orton and Cena pretty much for the next 20 right. years. All right. But uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, so not a whole lot, you know, of too much substance. I just always like to bring in anytime I could read about some kind of crime that happens, someone I mean, getting a, stabbed or, or something. Not a whole lot. Like the biggest New Japan star of the 2010s almost got murdered. That's a pretty by a naked right. woman. That's a pretty big story. And he rode a motor scooter to the hospital. That's all pretty good stuff. That's like a Grand Theft Auto mission. <laughs> like, hop it on the moped. Yeah. Escape. Yeah, and you can't even do the little wheelies on it. Right. Anytime a car clips, you go flying off of it. Yeah, good thing. He made it. Um, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll head into Raw here. So this would be the December 2nd, uh, 02 Raw. We are live from Austin, Texas. And uh, which has become a trend on Raw, though, we're going to start off with a match. They've kind of recently gotten out of the uh, the opening 20-minute promo style on Raw. They've been starting off with these tag matches, which is what we'll do here. We're going to get the Dudleys versus 3-Minute Warning, the newly formed Dudleys, who are kind of have worked their way very quickly into the title picture, given the um, the very thin tag division that Raw has. But... Uh, so, and of course, the Dudleys on last week's episode had the entire uh, towel-snatching saga that Ryan and I broke down. But, uh, yeah, they just kind of go through the motions to this match. Um, Bubba does an arm bar. That was one of the only notes of, like, specific spots, which was very uh, which was very puzzling. Like, JR is even like, what the hell? He's like, Bubba with the uh, Fujiwara arm bar. Like, JR seemed baffled <laughs> that Bubba would be doing that. But uh, I thought three-minute warning were pretty smooth in this one. They're not – they've been a little – you know, when they have to actually work a match and are just beating people down, and they've been a little janky at times, but I thought they hit their spots pretty well in this one. But it was just kind of a um, a very straightforward paint-by-numbers kind of solid tag. Spike gets involved. He neutralizes Rico, and they're able to hit the 3D and uh, win in here. So kind of just a, um, uh, a excuse for the Dudleys to pick up a win. But it the disappointing thing about this is three-minute warning just kind of felt like a team, which is not ideal. Like, they should feel, to me, like some unique like cool attraction like badass monsters but they just kind of like you never got anything in here i mean they do some power moves but they never really feel much like a you know they don't feel you know like what they look like they look like they should be interesting in the ring and they're really not all that interesting but i ended up going two and a quarter on it rocco like i said it was fine but nothing really to write home about yeah, you, you would want them to be more dominating. And, yeah, it was very back right. and forth, I thought. I thought Rico was bump, like flying off the apron. Like, that guy bumps oh, yeah. like crazy, man. Like, I really enjoyed that. Um, Three-minute warning without their intro was kind of weird, too. It had this kind of terrible mm-hmm. redub music. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. like you said, they, they get right into it. But, they're you know, they're, it's just back and forth, back and forth. And uh, a lot of fat guys pulling up their shorts and – um <laughs> right like a lot of vinyl shorts <laughs> yeah yeah like a lot of clothes that look like it'd be really hard to like have a wrestling match in in there um yeah like you said i i, I enjoyed it for what it is uh little old school ecw vibes with like a little samoan gangster party yeah. versus Dudley's action right uh so um yeah. i agree you know i enjoyed it two and a half stars i guess i would say but uh rico was the one that really kind of you know was surprising to me like wow like that guy just throws his body off the apron like a, with no abandon yeah, now that the the Dudleys, like the typical Dudleys, now Spike is kind of the third man. Yet the two like kind of third wheels in these teams are both guys who could really take good bumps. Like you have Spike who can take some crazy bumps for the Dudleys as their third guy, and then Rico with three minute warning. So it kind of works out well um, because after this, they uh, after the commercial break, 
the um, the champs come in and uh, throw uh, Christian and Jericho come in and throw Spike off the stage into the announce table and then kind of attack the Dudleys and actually hit the concerto on Devon, which looked um, looked pretty brutal. Um, I hadn't seen them do the concerto in quite a while, and they end up doing like a full on like the medical team comes out to get Devon out of there. So a good little beatdown. I actually kind of enjoyed the beat this whole beatdown segment maybe more than the match itself. Absolutely. That spike getting tossed was pretty brutal looking. Like you just ate shit on the announce table. Right. Without like <laughs> Spike's always good for one. Right. Like Spike's always good for one, like putting his career on the line bump on like every show. Yeah, man. He's good at it. Yeah, that's his thing. But yeah, three minute warning, kind of floundering a bit. They just kind of got fed to the Dudleys. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen with them. They've kind of. I don't know. I, I kind of forgot what their actual tag run was like. I didn't think they went on to like any amazing greatness, but I kind of thought they would have maybe done more than this than what they've done this run. But I guess it's not over yet. Um, but uh, we'll keep going. We see uh, Valve backstage and he officially here says that he wants to be called Chief Morley. So he's uh, shed the Valve Venus moniker completely. Uh, Triple H comes in. He is furious about what happened to him. Um, uh at the uh, pay-per-view and whatnot, Eric Bischoff tells him to calm down because he gave him the title and he wants great TV. Triple H wants his title back. He wants great TV. And so tonight he has made a number one contenders match for Triple H and RVD to see who will face Shawn Michaels at Armageddon. Uh, Triple H was doing very, like almost a caricature. Like he looked like, uh, he sounded like what people do when they're making fun of him. Like the strained <laughs> voice thing. It was just... He was really doing it like, I can't believe that this is what happened. This is ridiculous. Uh, like it was very, very Triple H here. It's the Jack Nicholson impression becoming how people perceive him, not how he really acts. Like right. he also, out of the three guys, you have Bischoff, Flair, and the youngest active wrestler who's supposed to be the number one guy in the company looks like absolute shit. Like, like he's, he's <laughs> puffy. He's got a bet. He's all shaven. His fucking double chin is hanging out. He looks like your like uncle at a wedding who like tried to dress up but couldn't even get a tie on. His neck's all swollen. Like this is I don't understand why he. Yeah, it, I was not impressed. And yeah, he's doing very much Triple H cosplay by Triple H. Right. Yeah. He's he's real very bloaty in this um this version of Triple H. And in a in a sign of things to come with the Morley thing, it's like he went from Val Venus to last week he was Sean Morley, and this week he's Chief Morley. Right. If it was 2020, he'd be just morally or chief by next <laughs> the chief. Just chief. What's up, chief? Chief. <laughs> but um, Eric adds that he wants a guest referee, so um, we can only guess who that will be. Rocco. I would I'm assume sure it's the guy. Sh- I would assume it's the guy who's right. been a guest referee more than any other guest referee <laughs> in the history of wrestling. But I don't know yet. We'll find right. out later. Right. Who who could it be? We'll find mm. out. But before we find that out, we'll go to our next match, which is going to be a match with Trish and Ivory. So Ivory has not been seen very much. Um, I have to ask Ryan. Maybe she's been on Velocity recently. But um, we we cut to Victoria backstage, who is wearing the uh, the Trish uh, cowboy hat. The uh, I'm trying to think. Was that the Pantera where the guy would wear the cowboy hat like that? <laughs> yeah, there was a Pantera. The, <laughs> the, video, video the, the Trish the Trish slash Pantera hat Victoria has on. Um, it, is is this a thing? Is Victoria a is is she 
just she just goes through people's shit. She's like a she's like one of the the weasels in a Beastmaster. Like she just wants to go through people's stuff. Is this a character <laughs> that she's been a yeah. part of now? Well, she's uh she's psych. Her thing is that she's um quote unquote a psycho bitch. So that's what they're portraying. So I guess they're real. They could kind of work out whatever they want. Like uh, whether it's her wanting to have like a um like kind of a, a homoerotic fixation on Trish or going through people's bags or being really violent. They kind of can go whatever way they feel like this week. And I guess this week she's kind of rifling through people's stuff. So I guess she's, that's where she's, a, klepto, this she's week. a kleptomaniac this week. Right. Right. She's whatever. Uh, so like um, Jr. here, they have, they do. Um, we spoke before the show, Rocco, before we started recording about these, um, you know, how when you watch these, even on the, on Peacock or whatever, you still get some of these ads that were part of the show. And so they had one for Subway, and uh, I like Jr. calling it a Subway, <laughs> which which popped me. Very uh, southern thing to call it a Subway. Like, what do you go to Subway and get? Oh, you get a Subway. <laughs> it's funny to me. But uh, yeah, this match was just—it was something to like to give Trish something to do without her directly having to face Victoria, because which I don't mind because I feel like. They had a match last week, which they probably shouldn't have had. I feel like they should have kept them away from each other. Um, so just give her somebody else. Get her a win. Uh, Ivory just does some pretty typical stuff. Kind of tosses Trish around. Trish plays a baby face. Uh, has some good fire and energy like she normally does. Uh, to me, Trish kind of makes up for her. You know, even this era, she's still not the most crisp in ring. But she kind of makes up for it with the fire and, like, the baby face energy. But she wins with the... Uh, the stratisfaction totally fine if unspectacular match it was um i would call this like a um a competitive squash match because it's like you know trish is gonna win this she's not dominating it but you know really the only point of this match is to just give her a good solid win so i went a star and a half on this one rocco it's just one of those things where trish just you just want to watch her like she's she is compelling mm-hmm. to look at she's 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 always engaged she's never she's always 100 percent into the match she's in and i don't right. know i enjoy watching everything she does i mean it's not just because she's an attractive woman but she just really is into mm-hmm. it and uh, it's hard not to root for her and not to um just be uh want to see her do stuff i don't i kind of wish she had a different finisher that didn't require so much mm-hmm. work from other right. the other person because it just it's risk to reward is the margin is high on that like you know because it's like it's been mm-hmm. it gets messed up way more than it should like so maybe i don't know it, obviously she has a good career with it but maybe just something else would have been a little better for her because it does get a little wonky sometimes but i i really enjoyed the match and uh for like a 42 year old woman ivory was you know jacked to shit and looked good so right um, i enjoyed it that is a good point. It's kind of like the how they gave Mongo the the tombstone. It's like, you know, if you have somebody that you've really thrown into this with not a ton of training, they're kind of trying to learn this on the fly, maybe give them something a little easier to execute. Like it kind of has that, um, like the lion salt kind of thing. Like anytime you have to use the ropes, you're always, like when you have to springboard off the ropes, it's always putting a, um, a margin of error in there, you know? Plus, plus she's wrestling a lot of, not very uh, experienced right. people, maybe not so much now, but definitely later, where there's so much mm-hmm. effort on their part to time it right, where, like, you know, I don't know if it's the best thing to have someone doing it like that. So the chick kick, I think, would have been a perfect finisher, you know? Like, but, yeah, now it's a setup move. But, yeah, I agree. 
I agree with myself. <laughs> she needed. <it. laughs> Um, uh, speaking of finishes, Victoria is backstage uh, digging in bags, like we said, and she finds Jackie's vibrator apparently um, mm. in her bag, which ends up setting up a match. So um, cross this one off your bingo card. A match being set up um, due to someone being upset that they found their, um, you know, their vibrator. They were that someone uh, stole their vibrator. So and she uh, throws Victoria into the locker. So. Um, first appearance of Jackie in a while, just like Ivory. I haven't seen either of these. I assume part of this is that we are um, near Jackie's neck of the woods. Is part of this? Uh, yeah, she's from Texas, right? Right. She she was Miss Texas for a while. So. There we go. All right. So we did head to uh, Christian and uh, Jericho, um, who are speaking with uh, my favorite, Chris Nowinski, um, and he is going to. Um, they want to beat. Uh, they want uh, Nowinski to um, to prove himself and um, like kind of they're just putting him in in this situation in this kind of put him in the same breath as Jericho and Christian almost I just feel like they want to elevate him like maybe give him a little bit of a rub because he's been relegated to the very lowest part of lower card of Raw so maybe get him with these guys who are more like upper card like uh, upper mid card guys and kind of have them. How do you say that? Like rub shoulders with them and kind of interact with them and see if he can kind of prove himself. So that's all this was to me. Any, uh, what, what, what's your feelings on Chris Nowinski, uh, Rocco? Um, real quick, I like that Jericho walks into the yeah. room and says, attention raw locker room. And there's just Nowinski <laughs> and Dilo sitting there, like a silent Dilo Brown and Nowinski. And they never show the rest of the locker room because obviously it's not a real locker room and stuff. But that's uh, perfect Jericho campy, not hammy humor. And uh, um, I have, I hate to say it, but I don't have much of an opinion on Nowinski, but I know that there was talk of like the idea that he's getting all these concussions and getting destroyed for nothing. But in the long run, he's getting a lot of concussions that have really helped a lot of people in the long run. So he kind of suffered for, you know, the industry changing completely. So, um, you know, if there's a, a silver line to this guy getting his fucking brain rattled every week, it's that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years after this, he's completely changed the sport of wrestling and how things are done. So, I don't know. Very uh, glass half full way to look at it. I like <laughs> very, uh, very skull filled with a lot of swollen brain. <laughs> but, you know, it, it worked out well for other people. And him. He's obviously not incapacitated in any way. He's a fucking smart ass dude. He did a lot of good shit. So, good on him. Well, speaking of getting your brain rattled, we have uh, Tommy Dreamer in our next match. He's going to be teaming with Jeff Hardy, and they're going to be facing Regal and Storm in a match that I feel like I've seen for the last six straight weeks on Raw. Um, but uh, I say that because it is a, a, a point of conversation on commentary where they're talking about which, you know, like you just said, Rocco, with, you know, the way things change in the following couple of decades. It's a little uncomfortable to hear them talk about this. They talk about Dreamer having more concussions than Steve Young. Like that Steve Young retired from football because he had nine concussions and Dreamers had 16. And this is an 02. No I think they said how 16 verified concussions. And God. it's like the New Jack uh, four ver- ver- verified kills or whatever. It's like verified <laughs> concussions. Like, Jesus, what a term. But yeah, it's like it's his badge of honor that, uh, you know, he gets his fucking brain rattled all the time. Yeah, I can't imagine in the ECW locker room there was a third-party physician like confirming, <laughs> like, all right, come see, let's uh, test this out. Come uh, follow my finger here. No, it was like, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I think Paul's Mahoney had a, had a doctorate in concussions, and he was uh, assessing people. 
right. speaking of SARS, Jeff Hardy looks like SARS on legs. Like I do, <laughs> I do not like the weird makeup at this point. I just, I don't like his look at all at this era. Yeah, he's in he's in rough shape, and you could kind of tell this whole run since I started doing the pod. It's you could tell they like like him, but he obviously doesn't have his shit together because it's so the, the his push just fluctuates back and forth. You could tell like they they know he's got the talent and kind of has the it factor, but he can't keep it together because he keeps like, well, we're gonna put you in maybe like in a better position and then they like shoot him back down the card and just kind of give him busy work. And that's what's happened here. Cause he's with Tommy dreamer and his just horrible generic WWE shirt tucked into his pants, into his jeans, looking like a goof, but always, uh, always a sign of a main eventer wearing the WWE <laughs> shirt. Right. So, uh, yeah, they just go through the motions in this for a bit. Um, uh, until, um, they, uh, hit dreamer on the exposed, uh, turnbuckle and uh, Storm and Regal pick up the win. Like, this match was all of about three minutes. They just kind of go around. Like, Storm and Regal are a cool team to me, but they just aren't really giving them much to sink their teeth into. Like, they're good in these, like, three-minute spurts they give them in these matches, but it's just them going against Jeff Hardy and Tommy Dreamer or whatever, you know, random people they throw them against, but they're not really doing anything. So I, I want to start the match. Not Not a whole lot going on here. I mean, it was just a match that was trying to lead up to more jaw trauma for Tommy Dreamer. And I don't know if the Jeff Hardy not getting into the ring for the whole, like he was never tagged in, if that's going right. to come in. I mean, hasn't that dude have like, had like three different partners in the, over the last like three weeks too? Like, it seems like he's just been in with random tags with people. Right. Yeah, I, Regal and Storm deserve better. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they, you know, and I, I feel like I've been saying this the entire time I've done this podcast, but... They, Raw just has no tag division. So, like, these are two talented guys. They work together. You kind of have some thread of a reason there as a team because they're, like, the remnants of the Un-Americans or whatever. Like, that's enough. They're both, like, technically sound wrestlers. That could kind of be their thing. You know, roll with that. But you got to give them something besides Jeff Hardy and, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> a tag partner they picked out of the uh, Raw locker room. Jinko Jeans Dreamer fucking coming in. <laughs> Yeah, with his shirt tucked in. Yeah. It goes. Uh, the 16 confirmed concussions. <laughs> um, but they, uh, for, for good measure, they lock Jeff in the sharpshooter until Dreamer comes back in and gets the save. So, yeah, not too much more to say about this. Um, so we'll move on. But uh, so we have Flair backstage. He's with uh, Batista. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, I've spoken about it many times, but we're still in the, in the, um, the era where they're, like obviously making a, a point to call him Batista instead of Batista. And it's very weird to, you know, given that I'm so used to him just being Batista to go back here where they're putting so much emphasis on the Ba part. But, um, and his real name is Batista because he's Filipino and it's right. B-A-U and, and it's, yeah, it's like the very much the, uh, the Vince McMahon, the, it's the, not the kind of like, it's all this, you know, nitpicking all this douche minutiae that means nothing but you know it's got to change every week yeah like weird uh, and batista looks language things yeah yeah the the angle makes batista look like a monster though like he's all he huge huge but then it's a kind of a bummer because he has the whole thing with the rick which is really cool but then he steps down off the weird thing he was standing on <laughs> and then he just goes to height, his normal height, which is like still an imposing figure. But like I don't know, it just cut away when he was still looking like fucking a giant beast. And then I don't know, it seemed like a weird thing to like have him all jacked up and looking huge. And then he 
it's like, oh, he was just standing on some like lighting trellis or something. I don't know. It was a little weird to me, but uh, cool. It, it, you know, very cool. Like amping them up and you know setting seeds for what will come with the uh, evolution. I'm sure. Yeah, and it's like um, in the last few weeks, they're almost pushing Flair as more Batista's manager right now. Like he's seen, and I know it's because Triple H was out with the um, the injury, but. It's like they're really kind of pushing him as almost being more in Batista's corner, like um, mentoring this kind of young, like a uh, like young beast that he's gonna like kind of train to to rise the ranks or whatever. But they, it's the first mention they give here of um, like Batista's background, like him being um, like yes. a childhood of Foster Homes and that kind of stuff. And they're sort of using that as like why he has all this like I guess pent up aggression and why he's such a monster and like Flair get it trying to get him to channel that, which is, you know, I don't mind it because it at least is start give him something that maybe humanize him more than him just being like a generic, like ju- juiced up like WWE heel, you know? And it was subtle. It wasn't spe- mm-hmm. like it wasn't now where they'd spell it out and or whatever they're doing with that uh, Damian Priest do. He's got aggression. Like, no, it was very like you don't mm-hmm. need to have a whole diatribe. You don't need, you know, like, we'll figure it out. We could figure out what he means. And, uh, yeah, that was very cool. And I like the subtlety. And, like, the idea of a Triple H was Ric Flair wed evolution is very exciting to me. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, he's going to, he's going to, um, Batista's going to face probably, like, a perfect guy to have a squash match with <laughs> is the Hurricane. Because... Like Hurricane just bumps his ass for him, uh, like uh, bumps all over the place, flies around, takes the Batista bomb, and just makes him look like a million bucks, which is really cool. So I, I want to star on this, but yeah, yeah, like I want to star on it, which is kind of my standard squash rating, but very effective squash. Like I said, perfect guy that's gonna go in there and look Batista look great, sell all his offense. So uh, and he comes very out, effective squash. he comes out mm-hmm. and he gets over as a baby face. He puts the thing on the kid's face, the uh, the mask, and the kid mm-hmm. is like. That's my new favorite wrestler. The Hurricane's the greatest. And then he gets his ass kicked right in front of the kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Batista's like, no, no, right in front of that kid. He gets his ass kicked and then he gets beat in a minute. So, but yeah, great squash. Yeah, I've, I've really come to appreciate the Hurricane. Like, I've always liked the Hurricane, but just he's like such a great, and it sounds like a backhanded compliment, such a great role player on these. Like, when he's on SmackDown, they could always throw him in there for a good, like, seven minute match where he's going to pull out some cool moves. Um, like anything they give him, he could kind of make it, you know, make it, he does well at it. Like he's just a great utility guy. In one minute, Matt, in a one minute match, he had a glimmer of hope. He had like a couple Mm -hmm. punches and he just kind of moves his body in a way where like he felt like he was ready to take, like he hit him with one punch and he just did kind of like a, kind of jerked his arm in a way and kind of felt Mm -hmm. a little confidence. You could see it. It read mm-hmm. very well, and then he got his ass kicked. But, like, there's that little bit where, like, I think you guys were saying last week, where he always has a little, with the Shining Wizard, he always has mm-hmm. a little spot where you're like, oh, wow, like, geez, oh, all right, you got nailed. But, I don't know, yeah, he's a fucking, he's like, always interesting to watch. Yeah, like, if I were to give, like, I always give the MVP, he would get, like, the six-man award, like, comes off the bench kind of thing and, and gives you some gives you some good minutes. Yeah, perennial uh, six-man. Right. Um, all right, but uh, Kane runs out, who is, of course, Hurricane's buddy. He runs out for revenge because he's kind of been having an ongoing conflict with Batista and kind of knocks Batista out the ring. So we continue with this as um, we possibly are going to have maybe uh, a clash of the Titans between these two at some point down the line. One of the fastest Canes I've ever seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sprinted down the ring. 
peak cardio for Kane here. <laughs> Uh, the Usain Bolt version of Kane. <laughs> right. All right. We head backstage to Shawn Michaels. He's speaking with Terrier. Ter- I don't know why I said Terrier. <laughs> but, um, the, De- the Devin Townsend album. All right. Sorry. <laughs> he tells Terry that he's okay after the backbreaker. So, you know, I think this could be, you know, to some people, I think it would probably bother him a bit that he's kind of, he's not like no selling the backbreaker, but he's just like, you know, I was in a lot of pain, but I made it back. So I guess they're kind of, Selling it, but they don't want him to miss any shows. So I kind of get it. Their hands are tied here. Um, you know, they got to get things moving. He needs to be here. But Rob comes in upset about last week and kind of how Triple H costed the match and everything and just straight up calls Triple H an asshole, which <laughs> was funny. Yeah. Uh, Eric Bischoff comes in to inquire whether Sean favors Rob or Hunter tonight because that's who he's going to have to face for the title. And um, so he makes him the special ref in a shocking development that no one would have seen coming. <laughs> like you said, a man who has never been special ref in his entire career. Um, but uh, Eric Bischoff says he wants it right down the middle or he will strip Sean of the title. So we'll see if those words have any bearing in a second. But uh, kind of just sets up the, uh, the uh, big main event for later tonight. Yeah, it was a good segment. Uh, you know, I, doesn't RVD say something like Triple H ruins ruined it like he always <laughs> yes. does or something like that? I was like, yeah. oh, that's a speaking from uh, yeah. speaking shoot from the comments. Fans. Yeah, yeah. Shoot fans. comments that are meant to be shoot comments or something like. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed that. Yeah, I liked him just calling him an asshole. I like the Sean Rob interactions because Sean's kind of corny, and then Rob has this whole like stoner thing. It's a funny kind of. Um, it's a funny interaction, those two together. Yeah, I mean, it should have been a little more, but I don't know if it ever happened again after this. But Right. All right, so we head to our next match, which is going to be Booker T, who was, I guess, healed from his um, terrible bout with, like, food poisoning or whatever he got in India. He's going to be facing Chris Jericho, who have had a long, like, kind of off-and-on simmering feud, even though Jericho's a tag champion. But... um. Booker T uh, gets on the mic before and says that he thinks uh, he thought that Jericho was supposed to be a huge rock star. But after last week, he's not a big anything um, that if what his name should be is Stuart Little. So uh, making fun of Jericho's penis, uh, his penis, (laughs) some would say, (laughs) Um, based on the whole incident with the towel. And um, Booker T then says that if he were a movie, he would be eight mile. So. And we get a basically small, saying that, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. we got we got a vibrator joke, and now we got a small and a, and a big dick joke, and uh, you know, let's see what's coming come up next. Right. So uh, we head into the match. A uh, good few minutes of back and forth action. Good heel face dynamic here. It's kind of Jericho's a good kind of um, relentless kind of heel, and Booker keeps firing back up on him. Uh, Booker always plays that role well. Booker hits the axe kick, but since Goldust and Christian want to get involved outside, Chief Morley comes out, and he restarts this match as a tag match. So kind of continuing with this trend of, like, Chief Morley having to come in and restart these matches and completely change what's going on in the match. So, um, you know, I kind of – I don't know how you saw it, uh, Rocco, but I kind of just counted all this as one big match. Uh, like, I didn't give any rating to this, like, four minutes of Booker T and Jericho because, to me, it was really just it ends to getting to the tag match. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it, well, I, I do know that in Jericho's book, he counts them as two different matches. So, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> I looked it sorry. up. He gives, he gives this three and a half. He gives the next one four stars. But uh, 
it does uh-huh. continue what you guys were saying last week about the whole like is Morley a face or a he like what is he doing this for? Because like I, this makes me think he's a he's 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 punishing the heels for interfering. But Booker T was a slap away from winning the fucking match. So why right. it's, stop it? You know what I mean? It's kind of like the in hockey, like the defense. Like if you foul someone but they retain the puck, you don't call the foul. You let them have the advantage. Like I, I don't know. Like so, I mean, to me, it makes me think he's a heel, but. I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a very strange thing with uh, Morley at this point. It's like he doesn't care if it's heel or face as long as he could, like, do some semantic nonsense to, like, kill the momentum of what's going on and restart a match. That's all he's worried about. He doesn't care who's helping or hurting. He's like a tweener as long as he can, I don't know, come up with reasons to restart matches and, and reconfigure them. That's his yeah, gimmick. He, very yeah, he just, he just wants a purpose. Yeah, he just needs something to do. Yeah, it's, I'm not a big fan of Chief Morley thus far. I guess I'll give him a chance. But uh, anyway, we, we go now into a um, a tag match, which, you know, the good part about this is I have been a big fan of Booker T and Goldust as a team, and they've kind of moved away from them as they took uh, a bit of a sabbatical as Booker T was in the Elimination Chamber. And I would like to see them here because, you know, they were kind of running pretty hot, and you were thinking that they were going to have a, a title win, but then they kind of cooled on him. So I'd like to see them heat back up because I think it could be a cool moment, them actually getting the title. So um, we'll see what happens here. But uh, good heelish tactics from the champs. We get some nice double teams from uh, both of them. Uh, Booker T, like um, Christian's on Goldust's shoulders, and Booker T hits this spin kick off of Goldust's shoulders, which was pretty cool. Um, they hit the uh, the shattered dreams for a big near fall. But, and the crowd's really into it. The crowd loves Booker T and Goldust. Booker T is able to hit the book in, but Christian pulls the ref out. And as they've typically done these matches, the uh, they do the belt shot and the uh, the hometown guy, Booker T, gets hosed and the heels are able to escape with their title. So um, kind of a bummer for Booker that it was kind of in his home state and he lost and the crowd was a little bummed at that. But I do think they're doing a good job of kind of building up the heel team, like the heat on Jericho and Christian that they're always um, – that they keep barely escaping. And if they do this correctly, the uh, the tried and true wrestling thing was, eventually it's going to catch up to them and the baby faces will kind of have their day in the sun. So I'm okay with it in that way if it leads where it should lead. So, But I thought it was a solid match. The whole package, you know, the the action with Jericho and everything, at the Jericho and Booker was good. And I thought this is a good kind of really a strong heel face dynamic in this tag match, but I went two and a half, a little, maybe not as quite as generous <laughs> as Jericho, but um, I still thought it was pretty good. Yeah. It's uh, a couple of things. Like it's, it's funny with the heel, them as heels where it's like, it, they're not a step ahead, like a, like a crafty heel, but they're just, they're just sneaking by with this stuff that they're doing, which is cool. And like, how do you feel about the idea of like a foreign object hit, but then you still do a big move. Like, he doesn't need to do the wine salt. You hit him with the fucking belt. Like, just cover him. Like, do you think? Right, right. I had said this because in the last one, um, I forget who they fake. I guess I think it was the Dudleys. Yeah, and he, um, they did the belt shot, and then um, then Bubba taps to the to the walls. And I was like, that's weird. Like, getting hit with the belt is going to make him tap more? It seems like he'd be knocked out. Like, So I guess it bothered me less here because it's like, well, at least he's doing, like, hit with the belt and then do, like, a move for a pin. Like it bothered me even more when it was a um, when it was a submission. But yeah, it's a weird yeah. Just pin him with the belt. Like you're a heel, use the belt, win with that. 
Yeah, the submission definitely makes way less sense. Um, I will say Booker and Goldust might be. Is that the best weird tag team combo ever that was like everyone kind of loved? I mean, Jericho's the king of the weird tag team combos, right? But like, I don't know, Booker and Goldust, I, out of all the weird teams they put together, um, probably one of my favorites and had the coolest like mm-hmm. win. Like, that was a big deal. Um, well, I don't know if we're about to talk about that. Spoilers. But yeah, like, I don't <laughs> right. know, one of the cooler combinations, I thought. Like, and it's weird to think, like, it's two Texas guys who've been around for a million years, but, like, just because their characters are so different, it's such a... Right, know, right. But in real life, they're probably pretty similar dudes, but similar experiences. But, you know, uh, yeah, cool team. Uh, the match had so much wild shit going on. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it is like a... Um, yeah, I'd have to think they if they are, like, the best odd couple team. Like, because usually when they do the odd couple thing, it's they don't end up liking each other. It's like, a, well, they don't get along. Where in this case, they didn't get along at first, but then they become kind of buddies. But, yeah, that's a good question. I would – they have to be up there. I mean, if not the top, they're definitely up there. Just by the fact that, like – it's not just from doing the pod. Like, if you would ask me, I would, you know, they would be one of the first to come to mind. But yeah, they're great. I love them. I hope they kind of reheat them. And as you said, maybe we'll see um, see where it goes. Maybe we get uh, we get the raw retro flashback of uh, Vince's Corvette being filled up with cement, which is a great moment. Uh, and then we go to the FU where we uh, catch Test and uh, Stacy uh, making out on the couch. So some uh, hot and heavy uh, PG thirteen action there. <laughs> um, and Stacy cuts it off and says that she has a new marketing idea. And uh, T- Tess looks very much like he doesn't – he is not worried about the moment. He is, just wants to uh, take this – <laughs> he's trying to move uh, around the bases here. <laughs> yeah, he went from 6 to 12 and uh, is not interested in going back down. Right. Um, and King is about to go from 6 to 12 as uh, Victoria <laughs> and Jackie come out. And, um, man, I, I realize even more here because she usually has the long trunks on, but she had the uh, – or. Yeah, and she had the uh, short ones here, but Victoria is a freaking hoss. Like, she is, like, jacked. Like, tall, muscular. Like, she is huge. And um, I had the same yeah. exact reaction. I was, like, right. stunned tonight. I was like, <laughs> I do not remember this, and right. I do She's not understand. Beast. Yeah, I was like, this is, <laughs> this is incredible. Like, I was blown away. Right. So the but the match here. So we go back and forth for a minute. Just kind of typical stuff. Um, Victoria hitting some cool stuff like she usually does. She hits that uh, slingshot leg drop that looked pretty good. But then Jackie ends up winning, which is just baffling. I, I don't understand. Like earlier, we saw Trish uh, face Ivory. She picks up an easy win. So you're thinking, okay, symmetry. Victoria's gonna come out. She's gonna pick up an easy win. Jackie hasn't been doing fuck all for <laughs> however long. But then Jackie just comes in and wins in like a three-minute match. Like, why? I guess like they they make it seem like because she's in Texas. But I mean, Booker T just lost. He's from Texas, and he's a much bigger deal. I just don't really understand why you would have your your heel, who's been pretty dominant, just lose randomly to Jackie for no reason. I mean, the match was a decent. It's a star, but the the booking here is just confusing. I, I kind of I kind of like Jackie's. She was, I don't know, I liked her fire. She was running around. She did right. like a little X-Pac spin kick to win the match, which I thought was really cool. Um, maybe just to do the following thing, they needed Victoria to have a reason to pout in the ring and be there and Stevie to come right. out. Like, I mean, maybe that's it. And they don't obviously give a shit about any female wrestlers. So it's like, right. it's big Papa Clubs coming out. How do we get him out there? I don't know. Haven't beat up Stevie. How do we get Stevie out there? There we go. Two-minute squash. 
Uh, yeah. You know, they they love putting over faces in their hometown. So <laughs> I don't that. So yeah, uh, it is a little baffling, but I don't know. I kind of liked Jackie, and uh, like I said, I was shocked. I didn't even know she was still wrestling with WWE in 2002. So I was a little surprised by that. But yes, the booking is really weird. But Victoria, you'll you'll, you'll hear a bit talking about her later. But I was way impressed with her in this, and the way she looked. And it's like the fact that she's not a blonde woman. I believe is the only reason she wasn't a huge star. <laughs> You know, there's obviously a reason and a, a type that they like in that company, right? And, uh, but yeah, she yeah, had it all. Very ahead, very ahead of her time here, I would say. Yeah, I was like, um, yeah, very much like, um, like you could see her as kind of like the prototype for a lot of the women they have now, like in modern day, like that they're much more, you know, open to that kind of style of her being more of a powerhouse, but. Yeah, it's just odd. They've kind of done a pretty good job of making her seem like a dominant kind of heel. And But like you said, we do get a big pop of pump because Stevie comes out to check on her. Uh, she calls out Trish. She's very upset. And then we hear the big pop of pump siren go off. He comes out, hits some of his signature lines. He's a lady killer, the ultimate thriller. <laughs> and he almost is like trying to seduce Victoria, I would say, for a minute. Stevie does not like this. And of course, for his troubles, he gets belly to belly and uh, press slammed. Um, which uh, then leads Eric Bischoff to come out in his his dad jeans. Like Bischoff <laughs> would full like he had the the boot cut like um, full on dad jeans here. Uh, he takes um, he takes Big Papa Pump backstage because he's you know he's trying to sign him and wants to give him a gift and the gift is an entire gaggle of ladies that uh bischoff comes in like this is some of the most like <laughs> egregious like i know bischoff's a heel but just the way he speaks about these women is just so like he just it's uh, like literally just being like look i got these things for you yeah, it's a that meat market literally how, yeah it's literally like a meat yeah, market like, that he's he's auctioning off cattle. it was like <laughs> even by wwe standards it's like jesus like this is pretty um this is pretty heavy, but uh, he doesn't. Uh, Pop Pop says he doesn't need help finding any freaks because he has one in the limo, and it is revealed that the freak in the limo is Stephanie McMahon, and she can offer something that Eric cannot. And um, it's pretty much implied that she's banging Scott Steiner to get him to go to SmackDown, which is a it, not a turn I could say I was expecting here. But um, whole lot going on here, Rocco. You have any thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, it definitely was. Uh, she does not have a penis, as you said earlier, because uh, <laughs> that seems to be what they're implying. Um, Scott Steiner's belly button is like the Iron Sheik's belly button in that Stranglemania <laughs> fucking VHS tape that I used to have, where like I don't know what the fuck is happening there. Um, I don't. You could, super Audi. <laughs> it's a super Audi, but it's also clear. Where you, I think you could see his fucking gallbladder inside if you looked in there. I don't even know what the hell that is. Um, I know that everyone likes to say that, like, he was such a missed opportunity, but, like, he barely could walk. <laughs> like, he is yeah. so stiff and, like, I don't know. I don't think that's a missed opportunity. Um, but, yeah, it was very strange to see Stephanie literally just saying, yeah, I'm going to fuck St- Scott Steiner and bring him to SmackDown. Right. Like, um, I, I really was like, wait, am I, did I miss something? Am I reading too much in between the lines? But, no, I think it was uh, pretty much written in uh, Sharpie. <laughs> like, yeah, like. I'm going right, to fuck yeah. him, and he's going to sign with my team, and Bischoff, sorry, you don't got the equipment. Yeah, it's uh, 
the poor ladies. I mean, they're just like, what are we, the, the Bischoff's freaks? They're like, uh, what there are was we, a couple. Of, there damn. was a couple of those chicks that had some good faces when they when he left. A couple of the girls were like, oh, <laughs> I felt bad. Right. Like, they're all damned to like hang out with Scotty Steiner, and maybe maybe they were big fans of uh, Michigan State or something like that. You know, I don't know. I like the idea of Scott Steiner being like the uh, the action figures, but just like the cheaper ones where the the arms and stuff don't move, like they don't really have like opposable like the limbs don't really move. Only four <laughs> points of articulation. Only four points of articulation. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Pre kung fu grip, GI Joe. <laughs> All right, but um, right after this, the action continues as we get an R and N update, and Randy is at the world. But before we can hear from him, he's interrupted. So the interruption is interrupted by Jr., who says that we um that we have a developing situation in the arena. And um, I, I like Randy being like, Jr., I'm not finished. What the hell? Like he's very upset. Randy Orton with his Jim Halpert season three of The Office haircut. Like, what the <laughs> right. fuck was that? I don't remember that at all. But yeah, he looked like a fucking clown. Yeah the uh, the uh, the semi wet like um. Combed uh, forward. bowl cut. <laughs> what was the thing in the mid, like, aughts of no dude wanting to show their forehead? Like, it was like, be proud, dude. Show your forehead. Show your five head. I, I didn't get that little part, but, and I don't remember that aspect of Randy Orton, but he was on, you know, he was recouping his, his uh, shoulder, so. Yeah, I think it's just like that. So I, I, like, when he has that hair, it reminds me of, um, uh, like, a Josh Hartnett. That's what I always think of. <laughs> like, that whole style. Yeah, like the faculty era, Josh Hartnett. Right. But um, our developing situation that has robbed us of the uh, Randy uh, update is Triple H looking for Shawn Michaels. Um, uh, he runs into him, smugly asks about uh, how his back is doing, and says that he's going to take his belt back. But Shawn says he's beat him twice and he'll beat him again. Which I was, <laughs> by the end of this, I was like, did we really lose the Randy news update for that? Because that was really not that interesting. <laughs> Yeah, like breaking news. Yeah. Triple H wants to talk to his old best friend, who's going to ref his match. Who fucking cares? Right. We have to <laughs> interrupt the very funny Randy News update, Randy News Network, to give you a pretty paint by numbers Sean Triple H promo. Yeah, to make Randy Orton sit up from eating his uh, chicken fingers and uh, aioli at the world. <laughs> shoot this three second promo and sit back down. That's amazing. <laughs> anyway. All right, but that will lead us into our big main event, which will be for the uh, number one contendership for the uh, WWE title, or I guess the world heavyweight title, I should say. But um, right from the beginning, Sean comes out as ref. He ejects Ric Flair, so making his presence known as ref. And so here's the thing, too. And it, like I normally don't get picky on these things, but Eric said earlier, if Sean you know, didn't call it down the middle, he was going to strip him of the title, which if he held to that, Sean would definitely get stripped of the title because he definitely like actively tries to hinder Triple H throughout the entire match. Like he does uh, he nothing but from, call it not down the middle. <laughs> right. Right. Like tries to stop him from throwing the closed fist. Um, he's whenever Triple H is in the headlock, he's blocking him from getting to the rope. So yeah, just completely against him. But I guess they just kind of forgot that Eric said that. So they just ignored, but, um, yeah, Rob's really taking the Triple H with the kick, starting him to the steps, um, kind of being aided by Sean here. It it bums me out that RVD is just like the third wheel in this, and he feels, you know, he feels like such an afterthought to this whole thing, this match, this whole angle over the past couple weeks with Sean and Triple H. I mean, 
He's so much better than that. It could have literally been Chris Nowinski in that role, and it wouldn't have changed the story any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it just makes him seem like more of a, you know, just a guy, which is such a bummer because he's so much better than that. But uh, Sean ends up getting bumped. Hunter goes for the chair. Rob knocks it away and hits the rolling thunder. Um, Sean gets bumped again. And there's another thing in here where it's like, it's like Sean's HP is lower because he's in the ref role. So it's like a minor, like, you know, if you would be in a match, you would recover in like four seconds. But because he's in the ref shirt, like a minor clothesline, like a minor getting shoved into, like knocks him out for like 30 seconds. So there's that whole part of this. But um, uh, so he gets hit again. And then, um, Triple H hits the chair shot, Sean counts, and then Triple H picks up the win. Really nothing of a match. I mean, no real drama or anything interesting. It was just it was just it ends to get it. It was just a way to get to Triple H versus Sean at the pay-per-view, which of all the options at play here, definitely not the most interesting. I mean, I feel like coming off of SummerSlam, I don't think they're really going to be able to top that. And a weird thing about this is it's like Triple H overcoming the odds. He... <laughs> He had the ref completely against him, and he somehow oh, yeah. was able to overcome as the, the ultimate heel, which is weird. But, yeah, kind of a bummer of a match. I want a star and a half on it. Just, you know, not too much interesting. Triple H was pretty plotting in this, and, um, you know, Rob hit his stuff. But it, it was almost like you couldn't get invested because you didn't – like you just didn't feel there was any way that RVD was going to come out of this winning. Yeah, I mean, he was he – was, I was barely aware of him doing anything, and mm-hmm. – the the double hit of Sean was so telegraphed both times, and usually they're pretty good at hiding with camera angles that like Triple H is literally just standing there like a goof, and uh, sorry, uh, HBK standing there, and RVD does a spin kick like the second time he hits him, and it's funny that like RV once again it, it's that one thing where RVD just disappears, and now it's like the Triple H HBK thing where it's like Triple H isn't even mad that RVD kicked him twice, you know, it's just like, it's such a disconnect to. Mm-hmm. everything and the, the 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 fake referee thing is just so silly like i just don't like that as a whole thing where he's like no referee has ever blocked a guy's hand from punching another wrestler unless it's a guest right. referee you know what i mean like only a guest referee does that stuff so um i mean yeah like i guess it's a cool idea where triple when he has to look him dead in the eye while he counts down rvd like you know the triple h hbk stare down it's a cool concept but Everything leading up to it's crap. It's supposed to be like a main event of like two dudes. And it just, I just was not involved. <laughs> it just didn't grab me in any way. And everyone right. knows and RVD so, never mm-hmm. punches. He only uses forearms. Yeah, he really never does. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Look, he's, he's, trying to, he's trying not to get in trouble with the ref, okay? He doesn't want to <laughs> yeah. accidentally throw a closed fist, a rule that is heavily enforced throughout wrestling. <laughs> yeah, what a silly rule. Um, yeah, he never does that, but you know, a guy that I loved and the idea that like an RVD who's a tall, handsome, super athletic, muscular dude, they just went, nah, <laughs> nah, yep. he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not material for a number one dude. It's so silly. And this is just pure. This just shows you how much they think of him at this point. Right. And it's, look, here's the thing is like, I'm not even like when they had the Triple H Sean thing in the SummerSlam, I thought it was a really interesting story. There was a lot behind it, but like they're past that now and it just feels so flat now. It's like we've kind of done that. Peaked. It to peaked me, it, already. 
Right. And I, I could see if you still wanted to have them like interact with each other, but they shouldn't be like the title match. Like have Sean feuding with RVD, but then Triple H is like trying to sabotage him or, you know, something more interesting than, you know, give us something fresh. And it'll be it'll be fun to contrast this with SmackDown because and like kind of see what SmackDown's doing, but it just feels so kind of played out. It just it's like they're just going to the well, like, well, we'll just do Sean and Hunter, I guess. You know, why not? Even even this brawl they have with the official splitting them up just seems so just kind of uninspired, you know? Yeah, it was brawl for brawl's sake. Although you did get an Arn Anderson bump, which is kind of surprising <laughs> to me. He knocked on his ass, so that was pretty interesting. All right. But that that's how we close this one. Uh, Shawn Michaels pretty, went from mm-hmm. went from having the tiniest mm-hmm. referee pants ever to having the baggiest referee right. pants ever in the span of twenty years or uh, five years. Yeah, he had like uh, I call them the party boy pants, like from <laughs> Jackass, like with the buttons on the side, so he can pull them off if he feels the need to. <laughs> oh, yeah, but um. <laughs> I would say this is a pretty boring episode of Raw Rocco. <laughs> I kind of felt bad that you had to watch this for the pod. Um, like sometimes you you would maybe think maybe Triple H and RVD, we might have gotten an interesting match, even though Triple H doesn't seem like you can have a good match with RVD. But not a whole lot going on or, here. Or, or mean, doesn't want to. Or doesn't want to. <laughs> right. Good point. But yeah, just nothing really. Like I'm going through the show trying to think of, anything really interesting to happen i mean the tag stuff was okay but you know not a ton of angle development i I ended up going three and a half out of ten for the entire show this is definitely trending back down to some of our some of the more weak raws that i've watched i mean i have to look back in my nostalgia eyes so for me Mm -hmm. i also i always let i mean a and it sounds weird but like Victoria was a big revelation. I really liked watching mm-hmm. Trish wrestle. I thought Jericho was hilarious, but like I have not been watching this stuff week by week mm-hmm. for 45 uh, <laughs> right. episodes like you have. So like the idea of seeing, well, I was not excited to see Bubba Dudley because I never am. But the idea of the Dudley boys having a match was fun to me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there was a little throwback to the Swole and SWAT team stuff and like seeing an in-prime Booker T and uh, all that stuff and – but then at the end of the at the end, I'm just like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like the guy I thought was going to be a big deal, one of my favorite dudes ever, RVD, is just treated like a piece of fucking garbage on the bottom of his shoe. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the one thing I hated about Raw back then was that shit and Triple H. So I can't say I don't know. I, I wouldn't even know how to rate this. I'll say right down the middle. I really enjoyed a lot of the nostalgia aspects. But if I'm gonna like, I will never watch this episode again. Right. I would so, me. I will not go back and watch rewatch anything and I could pick apart so sorry, Jesus Christ. I could pick apart so much of this stuff in rewatches. So yeah. All right, with that we will move on to a SmackDown. So this will be the December fifth, O two SmackDown. And we are still in Texas. Now we are live from Dallas. Um and we will come right out of the gate with a very um I would call obscure opponent for Ray here, as Ray Mysterio is going to be taking on Albert, um, the artist formerly known as Prince Albert, uh, who is. Uh, they even say here, um, which is funny because I just did the show with Ryan where he was kind of, you know, told us all about his expertise when it comes to velocity. But they even say here when Albert comes out that uh, 
that he feels like it's his time and that he's making his return to SmackDown after being relegated to Velocity for the past couple of months. So kind of low-key bearing Velocity by saying like he had been relegated there. But yeah, yeah kind of way, way to get people yeah. to watch your other show, right? <laughs> I had to go slum it on this show that we'd like you to watch. Sorry. Yeah, it's like he went back to the minor leagues and now yeah. Albert's returning to make his presence known. Um, but uh, he comes out with some ruthless aggression, Albert. He's uh, he's fired up. He's throwing Ray around. He guillotines Ray in the ropes. And, um, yeah, Ray's kind of fighting back as he usually does. Big guys do kind of kicking him in the leg. And Ray tries to go. He hits the 619, tries to go for the, uh, the Rana, but he ends up getting caught and hit with a um, kind of a uh, backbreaker. Kind of reminds me a bit of the uh, the shock treatment that uh, that Abyss would do in TNA. Mm-hmm. That kind of move, and uh, he actually beats Ray, which shocked me. I did not see this coming, but um, so impressive, impressive return for Albert here. I assume, as we'll see in the um, what's happening after this, that Ray is probably going to be out for a little while. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a solid match. I went a, a solid two and a half on it. Ray is awesome as usual, and I mean, Albert looked motivated. I mean. Uh, he got the shave your back chant. I mean, but he was he was out with some aggression. As a, as a guy who was watching this for the first time in a while and is used to current Rey Mysterio, I was blown away how sh- fucking stacked this dude was. He was like mm-hmm. like a fucking brick shit house for like a five right, like, four right. dude. And uh, I forgot about that era of Ray, and I, I think he even gets a little bigger. But he does the Ray thing, like he just kicks and jumps, sticks and moves. But uh, Albert did a press slam into like a Falcon Arrow at one point. That was right. really cool, and I feel like that would have been a better finisher than the uh, the backbreaker thingy, the uh, Nikki Bella one shoulder rack attack that he did. But um, right. yeah, um, really cool squash match, like you said. Like I would, I would definitely give it the uh, the Aaron George two and a half for a perfect squash match. You know, a little action, a little hope spot by Ray, and then he made one mistake and he got fucking nailed. Right, and it's I think it's because it's a little surprising because Ray has been positioned that's kind of in that, you know, as kind of one of the mainstays on SmackDown. But I think with the size difference, you can kind of, you know, get that's away a good with point because not not watching mm-hmm. every week, I forget. I'm used to Ray now, who's a guy that puts mm-hmm. over talent. I forget that. Yeah, that was a different story. So that must have been kind of a shock for people, right? Yeah, like going through these, I was kind of shocked. But I kind of had a feeling they might. Or I thought maybe they might have like some schmoz finish, but I kind of knew like they were putting too much emphasis on Albert. Like if they were just going to have him come out and lose, I felt like they wouldn't have. They would have just like brushed it over like Albert's coming back. Uh, he's fired up and then he loses. Yeah. But the they seeds, were like the seeds yeah. they plant later with the uh, edge, obviously, are a reason why you got to get this guy a little bit hot. Right. So a big win right here is going to definitely set up some future stuff. So makes sense. Yeah. I like the attack. Um, uh-huh. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say the attack afterwards, where Taz goes, uh, Taz, uh you know, Albert destroys Ray, and uh, Taz goes, uh, he, he, he hits Ray with the squisher. Yeah, the squisher. That's exactly what I was about to say. Oh, he nice. calls him the, the squisher. Uh, it's nice to have Taz, uh, Taz back in the fold after our brief oh, yeah. uh, week off with Ernest Miller. Well, but yeah, the squisher. One tenth of the cat, and uh, I believe the proper northeastern is the squisher. You gotta pop the squisher. 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 But uh, Albert is still angry. He grabs a chair. He wrecks Ray's knee, um, like kind of puts him up on the top rope and starts to nail his knee with the chair until Edge just finally um, comes up to save him. So the, the Albert pushes fully and is in full effect here. The ascent of Albert. Um, it's it's one of those things. 
Oh yeah, he's coming. <laughs> the A train is coming through. It doesn't stop. It's one of those things when, you, as a kid, when you watch and you don't know stuff, like you just see like an injury angle and you don't realize like, oh, like Ray definitely is getting knee surgery soon, mm-hmm. right? Like that guy's gonna be gone. You would assume. That's mm-hmm. like just, it doesn't. When you're a kid, it doesn't ring true. You don't think about it, but obviously, to me, that's what I think that this is setting up. But right, right. And I would assume that's one reason why they didn't think too much about Albert. Like getting the win because Ray's probably going to take a little while off to heal. Yeah, and he comes back in six months kind of... and no one remembers that this happened. And yeah, yeah. so no one's going to be like, "Oh man, remember when we lost to Albert? That was bullshit." No, like yeah. no one's going to care. So I'll find if you know. I mean, they got to make stars. Albert's a odd choice, but hey, oh. I mean, it's not like they didn't try things. again. Uh, it's not like they didn't try fifteen years later again. So <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, I got to say, I would prefer Albert than the uh, next guy we're about to see them try to push. And that's, uh, uh, we go to backstage where Funaki, uh, reporting here as Funaki, not as a wrestler. And he's with Bill DeMott. Um, And my first question was why. But um, he scolds Funaki and says that Tough Enough was just a job. He's upset he only gets an interview with a guy who can't even speak English and said he deserves better. And he pushes Funaki on the ground. Um, all I can think about this is like this guy is like the personality of like a wall. Zero, zero just, charisma. Right. None. Zero. And then also the kind of uncomfortable thing is they're pushing him like his entire character here is that he's a bully, which seeing how things will play out in years to come, you know, with the uh, the backstage stuff, it's kind of like, a ooh. Yeah. I mean, he should yeah. have put a, a donut and a naked man's ass in Tsunaki's face if we're going to really <laughs> show what he's going to do to people right. in the future. But, uh, you know, anyone, if you ever meet someone with facial hair that's tied in any way in a ponytail, <laughs> just fucking run away. You're not going to, this is not a conversation you want to have. And he proves it there. And, like, the whole thing makes zero sense. Funaki, like, I don't know. It's a garbage segment. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from Bill DeMott, um, Lou Albano, <laughs> go near him. Yeah, fuck off. Uh, Luke Gallows. <laughs> but uh, as we mentioned earlier, Ray's in the back getting worked on by the medics, and his uh, his tag partner, Edge, is very concerned. So just kind of pushing further that Edge, Ray's Edge, probably going to— Edge is a total mm-hmm. asshole in this segment. <laughs> First off— he has a knee injury. There's no reason to rush him to a fucking hospital. Like, it's he's got a torn knee. First off, the, the EMT says it's shattered. That's <laughs> not a medical term for a knee in any way, shape, or form. And shattered. he's like, you got to calm down. He's like, I'll calm down when you get him to the hospital. It's like, he's not bleeding from the fucking uh, femoral artery. <laughs> <Good> shot. <laughs> yeah, there's no, uh, there's not a, a rebar stuck in his fucking eyeball. Like, he's fine. <laughs> like, chill out. Let these people do their job, Edge. Like, I get it. They're trying to, like, make him a fired up dude who's full of piss and vinegar, but he just comes off like an asshole on this to me. He's doing, like, the uh, the Owen Hart, watch his leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, nah, he's, he's fine. But yeah, I didn't, uh, I thought he just seemed like a dick to me. Right. It was a little over the top for the injury. Like you mm-hmm. said, like, why be rushed to the hospital for a leg injury? Maybe stop yelling at the person that's fucking like trying to help your friend and just like chill the fuck out. And why are you wearing a fucking ski cap inside? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold in uh, Dallas, Texas. <laughs> yeah, right. In the building. Got the air pump. Uh, Sorry. Anyway. Um, Steph comes out to talk about her sacrifices that she's made. And I guess she's referring to uh, banging Scott Steiner, I guess, is her sacrifice. But um, being penetrated uh, was decent. <laughs> By Scott Steiner and his super Audi. 
But uh, he says that um, Wait, she says it. The Audi instead of his actual. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's fine. given the amount of steroids, the amount of steroids he's taken, it might be more effective. <laughs> um, but uh, she says that he's going to be here next week to uh, sign with SmackDown, and uh, they definitely, like I talked about last week, they were going in like a weird direction with Stephanie. But I feel like it's a lot more clear here that she's going heel, like kind of saying that she's above the wrestlers. Uh, kind of, you could see her egos kind of taking over here. So at least they're kind of being clear about it not all weird and not really sure where she's coming from like we saw yeah, but she's being uh, nebulous with it. but it's, it's hard for her to even not come off like a heel too right like even right. if she's even if they're trying to make her seem it's it's just tough for her to be a face mm-hmm. you know like right. she always just kind of seems like she's fucking around at being kind of a mean person yeah, and it's just like a natural the way they do the authority figure general manager thing it's just eventually like you're gonna have to screw over the faces or like you know do something that the faces don't like and it's gonna make you heelish anyway like it's a like a boss is just a a heel character you know yeah in life uh, in general yeah right right occasionally you're gonna have to work uh, a weekend that you don't want to work you know even if you like your boss and so she uh like here she kind of trolls the crowd by saying that brock's gonna be here via satellite so kind of teases that he's going to be here but he's only going to be here via satellite so kind of toying with the crowd is kind of our heel shtick here so we will see brock via satellite later before that we will go to our next match which is going to be between jamie noble and crash hardy so really emptying out the uh, velocity tank here we're getting <laughs> all the velocity stars are invading uh smackdown now uh Nidia starts out on commentary here. Task questions Nidia on Nunzio. <laughs> Some good Task stuff here. He's asked if, uh, if he runs a chop shop, which was good. <laughs> is he like, yeah, he's like, is he 6'4", 350? It's amazing. Especially but when I, you know he's going to come uh, out. It's like even funnier. Right, right. Yeah, he's like pushing all the stuff about Nunzio. Uh, Crash ends up... Uh, you know, they kind of go back and forth. Doing some cool stuff like Crash... Um, Crash is pretty motivated here. He, uh, he he gives the business to Nitty a bit, and they go back in, and um, he actually wins. He hits the Styles Clash. I like I don't know what the Crash Hardy name for it is, but it's the Styles Clash, and he wins. So St- another kind crash? of <laughs> right <laughs> makes sense. Uh, but he ends up winning. So kind of another surprising result here, as Crash has has been doing anything. But um, they are kind of building up, I guess, a noble losing streak. That uh, that maybe Nunzio is going to be what gets Noble back on track. But um, I went I want to star on it just because it was it was a very quick match. It was kind of just they went in there for a couple minutes, and it was really just about the shock of Crash winning and building a losing streak for Noble. I thought it was cool to like have a, it's like a losing streak with a cool. It's not their typical like oh this guy sucks so bad, and then it's just to make him seem sympathetic. It's like no like I'm losing. And I need to do. I need to change something. And he changes. He's, he's going to bring in his boy. And I really liked the Nidia being scared. Like she wouldn't. T- like Taz is asking questions. She's like, I don't want to talk about. It. I don't want to talk about. It. <laughs> and it really does make you think. Like they're bringing out like uh, Nathan Jones. You know, like, you think this monster is going to come out and come. And right. it's it's cool because it really does build up. And it just it's a comedy storyline. It's a comedy character. So I, it makes sense that Nunzio comes in. Also, the fact that it's Nunzio, Nidia, and Noble, I never realized. A, I didn't know Nunzio was brought in by Noble until last week when you guys brought right. it up. Yeah. And now the Same. fact. And I'm like, was his name only Nunzio because they wanted three N's? Like, I don't even know. You know, Vince McMahon loves alliteration. I don't know. 
But uh, I did like Nydia, once again, being like a surprising female presence on the show that could have used a lot more in retrospect. Like, man, this should have been a real character. She seems she, she nails it. She's a better actor than most of the dudes on the show. She really sold the whole thing and, uh, you know, looks great. Probably if you ask people about this era, like one of those, like we're talking about with Victoria before, maybe like a non-traditional WWF diva that if you ask anyone who watched this era is madly in love with for some reason, <laughs> you know, like everyone likes mm-hmm. her because she has like a very genuine character and she comes off very genuine. And uh, I don't know. I'm talking a lot about a two minute Crash Holly win, who uh, Crash Holly will be dead in a year after this match. So um, kind of a bummer to think that he did have such a great match and seemed to have some good stuff, but uh, he isn't long for this world. But I enjoyed the match. Right. Uh, Nitty deserves some love. I love Nitty right. and Noble. They're they're great. They're a great pairing. It's a great know, pairing, and she's she's like in great shape. She looks cool, like mm-hmm. different look. Yeah, I don't know. Once again, she she got short short end of the stick on that. All right. All right. So we will head to um, we head backstage where Tori is uh, threatening violence on Dawn Marie, but Dawn calms her down and says she just wants to talk. Al is overseas. Al Wilson is overseas. I have no idea why. What like the I hell can't. Al Wilson will be doing overseas? Like I can't fly. Um, He's definitely got a heart condition. He <laughs> right. Like, what is this, like, business dealing? What is Al Wilson doing, like, in, I guess, Europe? Who knows? He's an like, importer-exporter like George Costanza, you know. He's got he's to get out of there, you know, and then. I did, I did like, the psych-out slap, like the Nate Diaz kind of fake-out yeah, yeah. slap that Tori gave Dawn. That was pretty good. She was ready to clock her. Yeah, but Dawn says that she's interested in another Wilson besides mm-hmm. Al, Tori. And um, so our erotic thriller is taking quite a turn here, Rocco. Um, she starts to uh, talk about Tori, saying her body is so luscious, and Tori is upset that she's just using Al. And then Dawn asks her, how much do you love him? If you do something for me, I won't marry him. And then gives her a hotel key and says she'll be in room 347. So big turn here on the uh, in the Al Wilson and uh, Dawn Marie Tory love triangle here is that maybe Dawn Marie has been secretly trying to get um, in Tory's pants and just using Al. I mean, maybe it's a conduit to get to like Tory's grandmother or something, too. I, <laughs> right. I did. I did think. You know, it's great Skinamax stuff, but uh, Dawn Marie proving that she's a huge Bret Hart fan by saying even in the WCW. I guess she does. So proving she's number one Bret Hart fan. Uh, Yeah, uh, the greatest thing in the world is this stuff. That this storyline lasted so long throughout (laughs) what is wildly considered one of the greatest in-ring periods in WWF history. (laughs) Is the fact that... So it's, it's like an eight-month storyline. Right, right. At a time when they really don't do that, even with stuff that's like a big, like legitimate storylines, they don't let anything build this much. Yeah, this has been going on for a good three or four months, and it's it's not over yet. So, yeah, yeah. it's um, it's taking a turn. But we'll, we'll see. Um, uh-huh. Remember, no, no one can make another woman feel as good as another woman can. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, yeah, she does. She does say that. Room 347. So mm. we'll see We'll see how this ends. Um, Maybe the, one uh, day there'll be a documentary about room two, 347, like 247 from The Shining. But <laughs> right. All I can think through, through this whole thing is, um, and we'll see it definitely later, but Tori's like acting, like her facial expressions through this, because like it's really like Dawn doing all the talking. So Tori just has to like react 
And I feel like a lot of times she has, doesn't know what to do with her face. Like she's trying to sell it. And so she just makes these kind of weird shocked faces and stuff. Like it's really funny. As a guy who has done a little acting in the past, when people do deliver talk, you have no idea what to do with your face, especially if it's a right. two shot, like a two shot like that. Because like, right, usually right. in a movie, like there's cutting usually, you know, it goes over the shoulder, right, right. one shot. If it's just a two shot like that and you have no idea, like, I don't know, this is, she's not an actress. She's not ready for this, like, right, long right. soliloquy <laughs> to her mouth. Like, what do you, what would I do? I don't know. I'd look like a dumb shit. Like, in real, if I didn't know I was on a camera, I'd probably be, like, picking my nose and being an idiot. But, like, she just has to stand there and kind of react. Yeah, like, to this person saying spot. crazy <laughs> shit. To, like, how do you react to this, this thing of this person just saying, oh, by the way. I'm banging your dad, but I kind of wanted to bang you the whole time. Like, that's an insane. Yeah, she's just, yeah, she just like standing there with her mouth agape. Like, yeah. uh, your body's so luscious. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to do. Like, it's it's like watching a girl at a bar being talked to by some drunk asshole about, like, <laughs> you know, it's like this poor person. But, yeah, there's plenty more for that. There's plenty more where that came from, if you liked it. Oh, yeah. All right, we'll head to our next match, which is set up by the altercation earlier. It's going to be Funaki versus um, Bill Demott. So, again, they're really pushing Demott as the character as being a bully, so unintentional shoot there. Uh, this is just like <laughs> – so it's like him, like Demott slugging Funaki as Taz just buries all of his WCW gimmicks. Like, uh, this guy, he's not uh, – they see this guy, they called him Hugh Morris. They called him General Erection. It's like this is a mean guy. This, all that stupidity, like, like simultaneously burying his WCW stuff, but I guess trying to put him over as like being above all that. Uh, but yeah, just it's like a this is happening December. It's like it's just like a Christmas bonus to these guys, like <laughs> Albert and Bill Demont, just to like push them, like like Merry Christmas. We're gonna like put you on the real shows and give is you this, a push. But is this residual India poisoning effects too? Maybe like some dudes aren't around. I don't, I don't know what the, yeah. Like who's is there? I don't, I've not watched week to week as much. Are there people missing that you noticed that these guys are taking up the spot of like, I don't think so. I mean, I guess part of it is like so many people are in like a lot of the workhorses in the main event, but the right. thing about it would be, I feel like it's a concerted effort or else they wouldn't be doing all the, um, like all the extra stuff. If they just wanted to kill time. They'd be like, here's Fudaki versus build the Like they wouldn't go through all this. Like, I don't feel like they would go through the labor of even like thinking out what his character would be or anything. It's like, it's build the from tough enough. He's an asshole. Here you go. Like, you know, they feel like too focused for their standards. So like, I feel like they do have an idea that they want to push these guys. It's just odd that, you know, and I get it. Like, you have to make new stars. It's just some it, I, odd choices. I appreciate the effort, but also, like, as a wrestling fan, you know December is a time they give zero shits mm-hmm. about. So you just right. kind of know it's not going to go anywhere. It's like z- no one's – Tough Enough has done zero for anything. Like, no one's ever benefited from Tough Enough. Like, like no. so, like, the fact that this is his gimmick is he's a Tough Enough guy is means it's going nowhere. I guess we didn't really know that back then. I will say the moonsault that he wins yes. the match with, right? Um, yes. I, I don't know. Did you want to talk more about the match, or do you want me to just talk about this? Ah, no, you say it's, a, it's a squash. Yeah, go ahead. So, so he does the moonsault, and it is the stiffest plank-like moonsault I've ever seen. It's kind of like that Scottish thing where they throw the big pole. Yeah. And it, it reminded me of the game No Mercy or WrestleMania 2000, where there's a moonsault you could do 
that it's like the cheapest move in the world where you could hit it on anybody from almost any part of the ring and they can't block it. And your character is a perfect line that just goes like, <laughs> like you know, he's so flat and it just is the most character. Un- I don't know. Like, it, I guess it's athletic because he's a big guy, but it just looks stupid. Mm. Like he's at one point, he's completely parallel. Like his whole body has, I don't know. I, I don't know if you noticed that, but it just looks insane. It just reminded me of like uh, the character from uh, the move you could do in N64. Like, cause it's a move that's yeah. a cheap move. It's like, it's like one of those cheap moves that you could always hit a guy with and they'll always get nailed by it. Kind of like in like Soul Calibur when that right. guy would yeah. just knock guys out. Like you could do that cheap thing and knock them off the edge. It was kind of like one of those. Right, right. But yeah, that, it makes sense for him, for Bill DeMott. I would also never want to talk about Bill DeMott again after this conversation. He's such a fucking asshole. Yeah, I, I give it one star. It's like he's totally fine in ring. It's just like nothing is compelling about the way he wrestles or him as a character or anything. Yep. Yeah. All right. And the so opposite we, we, of that mm-hmm. coming up next is an insanely compelling interview from Eddie Guerrero. Yes, the Guerreros are getting fired up. It's a big night for them. Tonight, Chavo is going to be facing Kidman for the Cruiserweight Championship. So there's a chance to get that goal to go with their tag team titles. And Eddie is going to become the number one contender, uh, or he says he will, when he's in the Fatal 4-Way tonight. So kind of the first mention of that as our main event here, that we're going to have a Fatal 4-Way for the number one contendership. Um, and like you said, Eddie is just completely fired up here, like just yelling. He says the, f- the familia will be so proud, including grandma, the real mamacita. Like I dug this. It was great. It was just Eddie saying all like going through all the family members, just like screaming, like his intensity is just like you said, he is like the opposite of Bill DeMott's like anti-charisma. It's just like everything he was saying was just, I was so, so genuine. In, it's yeah. Oh and like, I was so, I was so invested in everything he was saying. It's like if people ever, when people don't, never grew up watching these people, like you get like a Randy Savage promo, like this is a random throwaway promo on a SmackDown and it is more compelling than any babyface promo done in the WWE in the past four years. You know what I mean? Like it's so Mm -hmm. insane and it's incredible and it shows you why this motherfucker who was 5'7 was Mm -hmm. one of the biggest stars in the company at this point. You know what I mean? It's incredible. It's incredible. I'm so happy to have watched this. And this has definitely sparked the interest in me to kind of watch more SmackDowns just to see the stuff he was just doing on a week-to-week basis, you know? Yeah, and it's not like what he's saying is anything. Like, he's not really building any huge angle or anything. It's just all about the delivery and his charisma. And like you said, you just believe – Yeah, you just, like, believe him when he's saying it. Like, he genuinely sounds like he wants to do this, like, to make his family proud. And it's like – He's kind of being funny, but like it's like kind of being funny, but then he's serious at the same time. And he's able to kind of balance those two things. It's just it's really awesome stuff. Yeah, it's insane. It's you could see you just see right there on this little minute long promo on a Smackdown in December. Like, oh, my God, this guy was the fucking most charismatic dude almost ever. Right. All right. So we'll see if Brock Lesnar has similar charisma because we go to his sit sit down interview. Um um, via satellite he says he deserves this for being around that slime ball Heyman. i thought that was kind of corny like it felt very like not of this era like calling someone a slime ball felt very like like what you'd say like in the 80s or something it didn't feel very 2000s to me. rvd said asshole there's a vibrator like this guy's saying <laughs> slime ball come on yeah it's yeah, like look, a- it's very hollywood scum hogan 
<laughs> that sort of vibe. Um, but he says he deserves this for being around Heyman. Show's just a puppet. And he says he agrees. He says that he got raped out of the title. I was like, geez. That's uh, some uh, heavy wording. But uh, quite, quite before, the vernacular uh, to use on that. <laughs> yeah, I like. Uh, yeah, but uh, show's music then hits. Show comes out to the ring. He looks like crap as normal <laughs> with his Goodwill suit on, like the black blazer and his like baggy black pants. Uh, the uh, the tan blazer and the black pants. You know, my, my wife is an art teacher mm-hmm. and she identified it as burnt sienna. <laughs> yes. By the way, I said I was like I was like uh, I listened to these guys' podcast. They were very confused about this brown. She's oh, it's burnt sienna. I was like, all right, um, there we go. <laughs> he looks terrible. He looks like, burnt. He looks like burnt yeah. sienna. Uh, but um, Heyman then calls Brock a petulant child that needed to be spanked. And he says, Big Show is the perfect one to spank him because he got out of line. And that if he had the chance, he would continue to screw Brock over again and again. And he does reveal, because it wasn't really made clear through this, that because um, like in the moment at Survivor Series, you're not sure if this is sort of something that Heyman decided in the moment during the match or what. But he reveals that he and Show had set it up a week before Survivor Series, so kind of revealing that. Um, Brock then says that he is ready to see Big Show get beat by whoever it is that's the number one contender at Armageddon in person, which is supposed to be like a big deal that he's. I guess going to break his suspension or something and go well, over it, again. But it, it yeah. kind of matched the Stephanie thing where she's like, "He'll be here on video," and then he's like, <laughs> "I'll be there in per." Like it was like, "All right, guys, what are you, what are we doing here?" Yeah, it's it's, like, a, it's like an um uh, half baked. Have you ever seen the dollar bill on weed? Yeah. It's like <laughs> like what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, it's this whole. I haven't loved like where they've gone with Brock's character with all this. I just don't think this works for him. Like trying to make him like this rebellious. I've said on the last show, just him as this like rebellious face. Like they're not putting him in what I would consider a spot where he's going to succeed. They're not playing to his strengths. Like making him cut this promo and calling him a slime ball sounds corny. It's just none of this to me fits what Brock does best. It's not suffering succotash, but it's not great for Brock. Right. And so, yeah, and it's like I don't really feel very, like, okay, if he is or is, isn't is in person at Armageddon, like, it's, you know, like, they're trying to do the Stone Cold thing. Like, he's going to fight the authority, he doesn't care, but, it's like, that's not really why I'm invested in Brock Lesnar. I'm invested in him because he's, like, this dominant, you know, physical force. So it's a weird, and it's like they're trying to put a, Square peg in the round hole kind of thing. I, I appreciate giving them a couple extra layers, but I don't know if these are the layers I really wanted them to be adding. All right. All right. So we'll continue. Uh, we'll head to uh, Chavo's big opportunity. He's going to be facing Kidman here. And uh, Chavo's very fired up for this match. He um, And it shows throughout the match. He's extremely aggressive here. Uh, Kidman's playing the underdog face, as he usually does in these matches. Uh, Chavo's working the midsection. He goes for the ab stretch, works the ribs, which they kind of go away from later in the match. Um, <laughs> another good Taz line here is he says, um, he uh, Cole said something like, um, he pointed out something, I forget in the match, and, and Taz's like, you know, that's a good point, Cole. I think you, that's a good point. And he's like, wow, thanks for the compliment. He's like, you know, a lot of people don't like you, Cole, but I do, <laughs> which is great. 
I, I, I like that abstra- I, the old fashioned abdominal stretch with a little yeah. extra rope help. You know, you don't see that, that too much these days. So that was definitely cool. There, yeah, no, and, mm-hmm. I, I know this was in Go Texas. Ahead. I know this was in Texas, but I'm pretty sure JT Rosero was in the crowd because there was a guy screaming, <laughs> Chavo, you suck over and over outside when they were outside the ring. Like literally just Chavo, you suck, you suck Chavo on a fucking loop. So I don't know where JT was in 2002, December, but he might have been in Texas. You know, I've, I've seen it before on these. There's one where he comes out to cut a promo and you just hear in the back, Chavo, you suck. <laughs> so I think it may just be like there's at least one guy in every city that's just like a huge Chavo hater. Yeah, just the Rosero family tree spreads far and wide. <laughs> it's like a, um, yeah, it's like a, a club. I mean, he does suck. So that's, uh, it's, it makes sense. But I, I didn't mind him in this match. I thought he was pretty good in this match. Like he cuts off like Kidman keeps trying to come back. He keeps cutting him off. Like um one point that Kidman's coming back, he hits him with the gut to the uh knee to the gut, which was good. Um and so this is the point in the show where they mention on commentary that um like they mentioned this Benoit interview, because they're hyping up the main event, the four way, like who's gonna win the championship. And they mention uh, you know, like Benoit giving an interview where he talks about his family. So I'm assuming that got edited out of the version that we watched because um, I feel like that's probably the limit on the Benoit stuff is like, you know, a promo of him talking about his family is probably not something they want to keep on here. But uh, yeah, Chavo continues to wear down Kidman who keeps surviving the near falls. Kidman um, falls out of the ring and that's his opportunity to make a comeback. He comes back in, misses the shooting star press, uh, Chavo hits the gory bomb, but Kidman's able to get the ropes. That was a great near fall. I thought um, Chavo might have won on that one. Yeah, but that Chavo's frustration, yeah, yeah. Like his frustration finally costs him as Kidman hits him. Uh, he goes for the belt because he's frustrated that he can't put Kidman away. Kidman takes advantage, knocks him down, hits the shooting star, and wins. So good match. Got some good time. I like the fire from Chavo. Kidman was um, Good babyface as usual, but it was cool to see him actually get time to like work a full match and not just like three minutes where he like gets beat up and then hits one move at the end to win. So a good title defense for Kidman. I, I enjoyed this a good bit. I actually uh, I went three stars in Morocco. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, one thing I noticed that I know that I guess it was there the whole time, but I noticed the Japanese photographers outside the ring at this match, which was really <laughs> right. cool to watch. It's a thing you forget was a thing, and I, I thought that was mm-hmm. really neat. But uh, I really like the uh, Kidman uh, reverse DDT, Goldusty mm-hmm. kind of DDT that he did to get Chavo back in the ring to set up mm-hmm. the shooting star. And uh, yeah, that was a really fun match. Uh, Chavo hating aside, uh, I definitely enjoyed the shit out of that. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Chavo fan either, but I had to give the, the devil's due here. He was he was pretty good in this one. Maybe yeah, that was a fun I, I'm going to I'm going to give it credit to Eddie. Maybe Eddie uh, inspired him. And fired <laughs> he got him. him up. He got him mapped up with that promo. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, good defense for Kidman. I'm I'm digging Kidman's little title reign here since Survivor Series. He's a good old, just like he was at WCW, good workman uh, cruiserweight champion. And there's something to be said for the shooting star press that looks brutal. Like you get the Evan Bourne and you get the Ricochet Mm -hmm. where it's it's like, no, this one looks brutal. (laughs) And I like it. Like I know people give him some shit sometimes, but I like it, man. I like the idea that it's wild. And sometimes it's kind of like the, the, the HBK back that we were like before, Mm -hmm. like HBK had the most over back injury of all time. Right. he, someone gave him a backbreaker in a match. Triple H gave him a backbreaker, and the crowd lost their fucking mind. Me at home did, 
you can't do that. He had a back injury. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, we know he's in the ring. He's not still dying of a back injury. But the idea that Kidman has this move that, like, you're going to see him do it and you don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. RVD, besides the elimination chamber, he hits that move. looks beautiful, perfect. He sells it awesome. But, like, that Kidman fucking shooting star, you are always kind of like, oh, man, <laughs> this one might be rough, you know? So I think that's cool. And uh, I thought it looked great. And I thought that was a really cool defense of his to, to fight back and win. Yeah, I like the miss too when he missed it. That looks yeah, right? like to your point, because he does kind of hit it with so much impact when he misses it, it like it looks brutal too. Yeah, he but ain't yeah. shit on that miss. Good stuff. All right, we head backstage for Edge, who is focused on the four-way tonight despite his uh, partner going down. His goal is the title. Uh, uh, real but, quick, um Edge uh-huh. wearing an Edge hat, an Edge necklace, <laughs> and an Edge shirt. All with a tattoo that he has on his actual body. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? Jesus Christ, man. Sorry. Go ahead. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's Edge. That's too much Edge. <laughs> it's too much Edge on your body, man. Jesus right. Christ. Sorry. Sorry. He's got his brand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pushing the brand. He's like a NASCAR driver, dude. Everything says goddamn fucking uh, Sprite or whatever. You know, like <laughs> you don't need a fucking every goddamn inch of you covered in your fucking sponsorship when that's yourself. But anyway, he's, I, I, he, I, he, he's pissed in this interview, though. He is he's fired up. He, he does have some fire. I'll give him that. He does have some fire. Yeah, this, he, this is which, a real this is a really cool segment. I like this segment a lot. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it because I, I like that they've gone away a bit. Like my main gripe with Edge when he's as they've been building him as, you know, trying to turn him into a star here as in the early in this run, they were trying to push him as like Mr. Cool Guy Edge, like being funny and stuff. But I kind of like where he is now. They've kind of, you know, like toned that down a bit. Like right here, he's just like, I'm focused on the title. And then he says that, um, you know, his main goal is the title. But when he catches Albert, he's going to make him pay for what he did. And then literally three seconds after yeah. that, he sees Albert in the corner of his eye and just chases after him and um, and like attacks him backstage, which is really cool. So it's I just like him being kind of. Not really like more serious, but that he's not just trying to be like nothing bothers him. Like I like that he's bothered right now and he's not just like playing everything cool. And he's got multiple threads going on, right? Like he's got mm-hmm. the title match, but his friend just got fucked up and then maybe it helps rationalize what happens later. You know, like, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff going on in his head. I could imagine if that happened to my friend, I'd be a little distracted before, you know, one of the bigger matches I might have, you know. So, yeah, really cool. All right. Speaking of uh, big matches, we get a. Oh, we're you have didn't a, even we, you didn't even say what happens though. By the way. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, oh, they. Uh, so he um, he catches Albert in the corner of his eye and, and attacks him, and then. Um, so this is this where Albert uh, attacks him, or is that later? No, or? Albert's like doing something on the side, and Edge runs and he's the and they fucking go crazy. He just happens right. to see Albert like drinking a cup yeah, of coffee yeah, yeah, yeah. in the corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he like he's like, but the next time I see Albert, I'm gonna you know mess him up. And he's like, well, actually, and then he's yeah. The camera when he pans and Albert's like having <laughs> a fucking cappuccino, <laughs> he just attacks him, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, and he just attacks him, and it's but like you said, it's gonna kind of set it. It may the the fact that Edge has these different threads going on may come in may cost him in the end. So right. we'll see. About it. Um, but before we get into that, we'll uh, we'll go to our hip hop <laughs> challenge <laughs> to um, the main event of the night. Yes, hosted by Taz, where it's going to be Cena versus Rikishi. 
Uh, Taz immediately roasts Cena's outfit as he has on, I don't know, just like a, a tank top or like a, a big white shirt and like some baggy shorts. And he, he throws um, some shit at Rikishi. He says these are some of the craziest. All, all, all of these guys have some of the silliest clothes I've ever seen. Like he he makes fun of Rikishi's clothes. He makes fun of Big B's. And like a, yeah. he, he does not spare the he, he does not spare his uh, his vitriol on the uh, right. garments. But um, I like so Cena kind of hit some pretty basic lines at first, but then he um, I thought his best line was the one he said about Taz. He says, um, you you came up sh- yeah, just another one person from Red Hook who came up short or something like that, which I thought was a good one, like making fun of Taz being short. Yeah. Uh, Rikishi's not as I was like if I were in the crowd, I mean I know Cena's the heel, but I honestly think Cena had some better lines than Rikishi, like um. Uh, he also said, Cena said he's going to give Rikishi a verbal stink yeah. face. Just <laughs> good. But uh, Cena, Cena did really sell Rikishi shit because he just like calls right, him right. Ice and Eminem, which is like, what else? What else are you going to call a white rapper, right? But right. Cena really was like, you could tell like that guy had it back then where he's just like, this, like he was really pissed off when the, he got like nailed with that really not very biting insult. So, right. And he and, um, Oh god, why can't I think of um <laughs> Bull Buchanan? What is this little B square? B square, there we go. Um uh they get mad, they attack Rikishi after he gives his lines about Eminem. And uh Taz actually comes to Rikishi's rescue and puts Cena in the Taz mission, which allows Rikishi to come back and clean house, and then he and Taz dance and Taz can't really dance, and that's the funny part. But um, I was I was so, shocked to see mm-hmm. Taz get punched though. I didn't know that right. people touched him at this point, and uh, to see him do that, like that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, cool for Cena too. I think, and so I, w- I was going to ask you, like, do you think? Because I feel like the criticism of this would be like, well, this makes Rikishi look cool and everything, but does this help Cena? So, what do you think? Do you think this is helpful for Cena in getting this character over? Yeah, I mean, he's a heel at this point. So, yeah, like, he's right. got to eat some shit. And, uh, you know, he's going to fight Rikishi, who's a super popular guy. Like, that dancing Rikishi thing is never not going to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, his failed Rikishi wear line that he's <laughs> he's rocking at this point. <laughs> I wonder why it failed. I don't wonder I wonder why giant fake leather pants and a jacket failed. But, uh, yeah, no, I think this is great for Cena. Like, it makes – he's in an entertaining segment. He didn't have to wrestle. And, like, they'll have a match eventually, I, I assume. And, uh, you know – um, yeah, I liked it. I, th- I, <laughs> I think it's funny that Rikishi is Rikishi, right? And he's a Rikishi means like a sumo wrestler, and Yokozuna means like a sumo wrestling champion. So they've only had two guys like that ever in the company, and they—it's literally like having Rey Mysterio just be called Luchador. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, and we just accept it. But it's like such a silly marginal way, like. <laughs> Like, all right, that's what you're calling these people. But yes, uh, there's a lot of big white shirts, a lot of big clothes, uh, a bucket, a fuzzy bucket, Fred Durst fuzzy bucket hat in this segment. That's ridiculous. So um, Taz could barely get that stupid beanie on his head. There's a lot of hats going on in these two episodes with Victoria's hat and Trish walked down the ring with a hat that she never put on. B squared has a little hat on too. So yeah, a lot of hats in these two episodes. All about the accessories in the yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the big thing with wrestling figures now, right? You need multiple heads and weird hands that hold a mic and dumb shit that I don't know what people do with when they buy these figures. Like, what do you do with the multiple head if you're not having it on your shelves? I don't you know. That's exclusive, a... exclusive Rikishi figure with the uh, Rikishi wear, full <laughs> Rikishi wear outfit. 
Yeah, and the gum that he's chewing incessantly during the whole goddamn thing too. I don't know if he's rolling on ecstasy in this episode or what, but like <laughs> he's he looks like Hook. Oh my god, I think I fell. <laughs> I feel like when Hook had his debut, he was chewing a lot of gum and Rikishi's chewing gum. So maybe Taz just gives gum like a grandpa gives like mints at a family function <laughs> to all these wrestlers, but I don't know. I enjoyed it. I will always enjoy the Rikishi dance. Uh, when it was too cool, if he comes back tomorrow and does it, I'll always enjoy that. I don't know why. It's just one of those things that always makes me happy. But, yeah, I agree. I think it's fine for Cena. Because right now, they're you know, if they ever want to make him seem like a threatened ring, they can just, like, have him start winning. But right now, they're just trying to give him something where he's not a generic guy that no one's ever going to remember, which is kind of what he was doing before the rapper deal. So I mean, he literally had those little yeah. baby pants on last week, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, like, this is a complete 180, like, within a right. week. So, like, you don't need him out there, like, being a tough guy. Like, he was a little wearing little, like, mini pants last week. So, I think it's a good yeah. way to do it. And all he got to do is punch a guy in the fucking face once, and he's he's a tough guy, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get to our big main event, we get a quick interview with uh, Kurt Angle. He says tonight he's going to prove his dominance over his opponents. And kind of typical, you know, fired up angle stuff, but good serious angle going into a, a big match here. Like, he doesn't do any comedy stuff here. He's focused on the match, which is, I've said it a million times, but I always love how he can pivot so easily between these two things and make it work. And so he's going into a big number one contenders match, so he's 100% locked in. So love promo. Loved angle. it. I love that promo. No bullshit. No extraneous shit. Just, I'm a fucking monster, and I'm going to kill three other men. And so we we head out. And so as Edge is coming out, he's the first man to come out. And so he pays the price for his actions earlier as um, Albert batters his leg after the entrance and gets he gets uh, Edge actually has to get carried out. So he kind of does similar to what he did to Ray earlier to Edge. Um, but after all of his opponents come out and do their entrances, Edge is able to hobble back in. So doing the kind of injured baby face thing, um, tried and true. But um, as we get into this match, it does feel big. And I think compared to what we we talked about uh, Raw earlier, how RVD felt like an afterthought and kind of how they've been building people on Raw. I feel like this is the opposite because all these guys feel credible. Like you I think you kind of have a, a feeling of who your favorites are, but it wouldn't be shocking for any of these guys to come out of here winning, which is much different than Raw, where we kind of know where they were going because – you know, pretty much everybody but Sean and Triple H has kind of been, you know, proven to be kind of second tier, where these guys have all been presented as kind of on the same level, which is cool. And there's no immediacy to that Triple H RVD match. Mm-hmm. This match right. is, these are like desperate men who just want to win this match, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's so different. It's, it's so, it, it really yeah. is. I think the like, it's a difference between uh, shooting a bullet and throwing a bullet. Like, that that main event to Raw meant nothing. It meant nothing. I didn't care about it. They didn't care about it. The crowd didn't care about it. This match was dire men just dying to win this match. And it was insane. And everyone had their promo. Like, we missed one. But, like, three quick 30-second promos from each guy, or, you know, I guess four, with Edge's whole thread and the Albert thread. Like, they really threaded. Take away mm-hmm. the Take away everything that wasn't these four guys during this that's a 30 minutes of insane television right there. You know what I mean? Could you imagine that 30-minute 30 30 block of all the promos and this match? Take the Albert Ray match. 
thread it all together. It's 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 I don't want to say it's perfect, but it's pretty fucking close to being perfect wrestling, right? Yeah, it's well done. Like when when SmackDown's clicking, they can they're really good at kind of doing this stuff, like threading everything together through one show. But yeah, and it's great intensity by everyone. Like and so they start off, and of course they all immediately go off to Edge's leg because he's it's it's cool too because he's kind of the only face in this match. I mean, Ben Law is kind of a face because. I mean, he's sort of feuding with Angle, and Angle's going to be the, the heel there. But really, the only real babyface is Edge. So they all just kind of gang up on him, and so it's um, so it that's makes a cool sense, dynamic, which is amazing, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh wow, something made yeah. sense. Great. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like bomb fest with all these dudes, like just coming in and out, as you kind of see in these four ways. But they do it really well. But what I thought was interesting is, um, so they this is elimination style, I should say, and so as we get about maybe a quarter through the match, Eddie ends up tapping to the cross face. The ref gets bumped. So he ends up getting a title, trying to get revenge. Edge comes in and starts spearing everyone. And he ends up pinning Benoit. So within the first few minutes, we're already down to angle and edge, which I thought was a cool twist because you're kind of thinking, well, this will go down and then all the eliminations will kind of be stacked towards the end or maybe scattered throughout. But it's cool that, you know, that it's down to angle and edge in the last half, because I do think those would be like probably your two favorites. So like the two favorites coming into this. So that made sense. It was just kind of a good unexpected, like kept you guessing with this. I don't know how you felt about it, Rocco. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, Eddie's got, he's the tag champ. Like it's great that he's in this mm-hmm. match because he's a tie to all these guys. And uh, Benoit is always like, just, you know, just, you could put him anywhere and he's going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, doing some shit but yeah that was a really cool way to just kind of like isolate it and it really paints edge as the underdog too where he got a pin and now it's just him decimated though like there's no distractions for angle now it's just these Mm -hmm. two guys like they're both gone he got a pvb guerrero and now it's just them two it's like almost like maybe you maybe it'd be better to have guerrero there for angle to Mm-hmm. give a little attention to and now you just have this fucking savage man i gotta say not watching this era of angle for a long time holy shit mm. like he's the perfect wrestler right like those short arm clotheslines he do are insane like he just takes guys heads off and he's he never stops i was amazed by by angle at this point and then you're watching like a guy with one leg who just overcame some odds and i'm not the biggest edge dude but like i had pathos for this guy like a motherfucker like jesus like you're in there with kurt angle who is a savage you know like mm-hmm. i was so into this last 10 minutes of just angle insanity and edge just being the ultimate baby face and pulling out the big moves sorry i guess you could talk about those the, the match now too but yeah Holy no but that's shit. that's exactly where I, what i was gonna say it's like this whole final segment it's all set up so well because you have Edge, who's already the face, and now he's, you know, he would probably be the underdog anyway. But now he's got the injury, and you just got, you know, Angle, who's completely locked in, and it's like just trying to destroy him. And so you spend the whole last segment of this just Edge trying to survive. Like he gets put in the ankle lock, he gets out of it. He ends up getting busted open, just like an awesome face performance by Edge. Like, um, like all of his opponents, like because he gets you know triple teamed in the early going, and then now he's got to face this like like you said this rabid kind of maniac who's so locked in on him and has no other distractions, and he's got to try and survive. And like he survives just long enough to start like throwing his own big moves at Angle, 
but eventually like the leg just keeps hindering him. He survives the near falls. He gets a few of his own on angle, but he, you know, throughout the match, he keeps going to the top rope and despite his leg injury is able to kind of execute it, even though he, um, you know, it, he sells it after, but he just goes to the well one too many times and angle, you know, being angle like the ultimate wrestler catches him, goes to the top rope, hits him with the angle slam and wins it. Like, what a just, finish. <laughs> yeah, just completely like everything executed well. Everything made sense, you know, and it, it accomplishes everything because you would probably think Angle's the most logical choice out of these guys because I don't know if Edge would be totally ready if you really want to finally pull the trigger on Edge. But if you're not, you give him this match, which is an elevating performance. Like you said, I'm, I haven't been the biggest Edge guy, but he looked great in this. It was a great – it was like an elevating – kind of star-making performance, like just to contribute to this, like, continued build of him. And you believed it because last week mm-hmm. he fucking nailed the big show with that spear. Like, I forgot mm-hmm. that Edge's spears used to be really good. I guess that's why he got fucked up with his neck. But, like, the spears he's laying in are deep. Like, I, he's not as big as Goldberg or Rhino or mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, he's really getting his whole body into these dudes. And the spear he hit big show with last week, right? That was last week? was good yep. like he nailed him and like he's nailing the angle with them and he's getting his whole body into that so you had that like where it's believable that he could go against big show he fucking took him out last week with a spear right so it's not a foregone conclusion that it's going to be angle the way you're saying it it does make sense like yeah it probably was but then you get the whole idea mm-hmm. of like he's been out since segment one mm-hmm Angle's just been stewing in the back we didn't even see him until his interview where he's like yeah i'm just ready to kill this guy i've just been sitting back in the back, thinking about murder. <laughs> like, I'm a fucking beast. Right. But Edge's, he came out for Ray. And then he came out and he fought fucking Albert. You know, he's been amped up. He's been, his adrenaline shot. Like, he's been doing stuff all night long. Angle's just been waiting to kill people. So it really sets Edge up as, like, such a great baby face for this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always hate kind of the, when they do the thing where the good guy gets, like, taken out like the Sasha Banks Hell in the Cell or the Roman Reigns like Rumble where I'm like, no, that's not, that doesn't make me think they're more of a baby face. Mm-hmm. So they did it really well with Edge here where he's taken out in the break, you know, like before it, right? And the match starts and he, right, it's bef- he's not going to be, you know what I mean? Like they did it really well where they didn't just have him show up 20, like 10 minutes into the match. How mm-hmm. they sometimes like to do and think it's going to make me have uh, pathos for them. So I don't know, man, I was blown away by how well this was all executed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it was great. Effusive about it, but like, I don't know what to say. Like, it's so, it was so good. Yeah, it was excellent. And like, and like, it makes sense too, because Edge, he's already coming and wounded and he's going against somebody that's going to take his, advantage. His buddy's in the hospital right now. Like, uh-huh. there's a lot of stuff going on, man. Yeah, it was all extremely well done. It, it's a great match. I ended up going four and a half on. I mean, it's almost flawless. Like, I mean, I guess if you want to nitpick, maybe you could say like, well, wh- like Edge does look a little silly. Like, why do you keep going to the top rope? It's kind of not a smart move. Listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a sell yeah. job truther. I'm not a whim work truther. Right, right. I don't give a shit about that. You know what? I broke my ankle and walked home on a fucking. Uh, I fell off a mountain <laughs> and walked home on it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like if adrenaline and like I played sports. Everyone's played sports injured. Like, you know, you could do shit. You know, I get it's part of the story and all these things and. But you know what? 
you, that's what you're gonna do. He's adrenalized. He's amped up. He's emotional. Like he's his friends in the hospital. There's a giant bald hairy man that might come out halfway through this match. You know what I mean? Like who knows? You know, he's distracted. He just wants to do some crazy shit. Like he could you could put yourself in that position, which is way more fun being a wrestling fan than being a, a whim work truther and worrying about his knee. You know, so fuck that. I don't care. Um, I don't know. Four and a half sounds like a great way. I'll agree with you, but. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could maybe be like, I'd like to see Benoit more or Eddie more, but it ain't their match, you know? This is their match here. This is right. this, is, this is the Edge show and the uh, Angle show. So, love it. Yeah, it was fantastic. And um, so after this, immediately, I mean, like, right after the ref's hand hits the three, Big Show comes in and chokes Nam's Angle to kind of show that he's ready to take him on. And that kind of will presumably send us on a crash course to Big Show versus Angle, where hopefully Angle will take the title from Big Show. Which is another great realism thing, where you don't let him sit there for four minutes with his music playing. As soon as he fucking wins, he's out. Right. You know, as fast as Big Show could get down the air. <laughs> you, know, you know, but you know, he got there fast enough. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, like what I'm like. No, no, he's out there immediately. You know, there's no celebration. I'm out there. I'm fucking you. And so you may think that would be how we'd close the show in this big main event angle, but actually, <laughs> I we was have one more, one more thing. Um, yeah, I thought maybe it was going to be like a cliffhanger to see if Dawn, I mean, if uh, Tori went to the hotel room. But no, we close with Tori showing up at Dawn Marie's hotel where Dawn answers wearing her robe, sipping a glass of wine. Um, Tori walks in. Dawn starts to caress her and says if she does everything that uh, she asks, the wedding will be called off. Tori contemplates and um, walks towards the door as if she was going to leave but then appears to succumb to Dawn Marie as we <laughs> go off the air here. So some um, asylum-grade erotic thriller material going on right here. Just what? Uh, So anachronistic to this in the ring. There's not even like, cool, we got to cut to this hotel. Right. Like It just went to this silent footage with nothing. Like, I don't, like, yeah, it was such a weird thing. <laughs> I don't really yeah, know. It's like... It was like they wanted to be like, look, in case you weren't completely satisfied just with the wrestling, I'm going to throw it off with like some, um, with this lesbian eroticism. <laughs> so like, we know you're going to be back next week because you got the wrestling right there. Then you got these, these two women who are about to, you know, she's about to seduce her so she doesn't marry her dad. If you're into that, we got it all here on SmackDown, folks. I mean, they shouldn't have just had Taz doing that. Like, why he didn't have voiceover saying, next week, Conalingus Cole. We got it. Like, <laughs> Whoa, like, look at us, Cole. We got Look uh, at these two tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could have really pumped it up, you know. Well, these two, my two gumars are going over there on this. Uh, also, there was a uh, leopard skin sheets on the bed. I don't know. Maybe Dawn Marie got there early. It was a wild look in the hotel room, too, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, what a way to end the show after this insanely athletic, great match. Uh-huh. Just touch a little bit of this thing. Uh, it didn't it didn't diminish for me. It just was a little like bit of a right turn. But uh, like yeah, we were yeah, saying earlier, just, I yeah. thought it was edit- I thought they maybe edited it off. So maybe if it was before the main event, would have been a little cooler. But like once we like we were saying, this is a storyline that is not over. 
in any way, shape, or form. Like, it's it's still going on. So, I mean, it's a big deal. And uh, the teenage boy... Just getting warmed up, baby. Yeah, right? Just like... uh, it's like Tori's loin. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a way to end the show. I loved it. I mean, it's fucking, it's it's such a great thing, you know. Right. So with that, we'll kind of wrap up our thoughts on SmackDown. I mean, I thought this was a great SmackDown. Like, you know, maybe some weird booking with the Albert and, and Bill DeMott stuff, but that's kind of not I think the Albert stuff was time. not weird, though. I thought the Albert stuff yeah, was yeah. really good. It played into the main event. So, you know, like, that was really a th- Like, they had this thing going mm-hmm. through the whole show at the Edge, Albert, main event. So I thought that was really cool. And I don't know. It's a little bit of a throwback to maybe a little little superstars with some, some squashes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, man. Uh, my nostalgia was high on the rocks. I hadn't watched that era of wrestling in 20 years. But this was just a great fucking show. I will be watching. I listen to your show every week. Mm-hmm. I will be watching SmackDown. I will make sure I watch it. I do sometimes. I don't always have time. But I will be watching because I am a hook, line, and sinker into this format. It just flew by. A wrestling right. show to fly by that quickly is such, such an anachronistic thing in 2021 that I loved it. I loved every second of this show. Yeah, it's a, you know, they kind of had a down week the previous week but it's kind of like the india stuff i think threw them off and it being a holiday and stuff but man they bounced back and they, the cruiserweight match was good too the main event was awesome even the you know for what it is the tori and dawn stuff is you know it's an interesting kind of like it it's can't be fun it's not like when they do stuff and it's like all right this is just stupid it's kind of like fun and ridiculous and you know but i, I went eight out of ten on this this is i mean you're not going to get much better on like a weekly wrestling show than this, I think. I mean, you got a classic match, a really cool through line, some really outrageous shit, some like stuff that's definitely leading to newer shit, and like some good matches, man. Like and some cool ass squashes. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I mean, eight sounds good to me, man. I, I like that a lot. Good deal. So uh, we'll we'll go into our awards. I think we're easily going to say best matches that uh, four way. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Best moment. I think I'm going to go with the uh, the Eddie promo. I've had to pick uh, like a best moment, like that in-ring kind of thing. That was a great promo. That was a great promo. The 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 ending to the four-way. I love that mm-hmm. angle. Like that was that was insane, dude. He just ran up the fucking rope and threw it like that angle slam off the top was just so amazing to me. This is a guy who hasn't watched like prime Kurt Angle in a little while. So right. yeah. And uh it's gonna be a little, a little goofy, but that Taz, <laughs> Taz dance, man. I yeah. really enjoyed the shit out of that, man. Awesome, Taz. Uh, best show of the two, easily SmackDown. Ran away with it. Hot take, me. but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, MVP, I'm gonna give it to Edge. I mean, tons of great performances, but it felt like it was, even though he didn't win, he was like kind of the centerpiece of the show and was. You know, it was kind of his night, even though he didn't win in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, um, I see what you're saying. Although my, I just came out of this just wanting to watch Kurt Angle matches. Right, right. Like, so, yeah, I'm gonna say Angle, but yeah, Edge was, you know, fucking best thing I've seen Edge do in a long time. So I loved it. Yeah. And uh, I will say, Y2J was a very fun part of uh, Raw and Victoria mm-hmm. as well. But uh, yeah, it's all Angle. Oh, that's what the top five's for. I don't even say that. Yeah. No oh, good. But uh, LVP, I think I'm going to go with Triple H for his, you know, for where he is. And 
like especially when you see these guys on SmackDown just come in there like so inspired, so much great intensity, and him to just constantly be putting these matches with like talented people and kind of just having these kind of ho hum, kind of boring matches for his position is really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, look what Rey Mysterio did with a match with Albert. Look at look at what mm-hmm. Crash Holly and uh, <laughs> did in a match. And look what you did with one of the most over-wrestlers of the 90s and 2000s, Triple H. Nothing. You did zero. You just look like a fucking bloated asshole. So, yeah, LVD him, and unfortunately, I got to say, Tommy Dreamer. Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) I mean, I love, I mean, I haven't really watched again, like I said, a million times, but, like, I forgot how fucking lame he became. This motherfucker used to make out with double chicks. Have cool gear, look cool, do be, and now he's just wearing like Jinko jeans, a WWF American flag shirt, and <laughs> I to tell you. and you're saying just, it. <laughs> that was he, um, he he has been like you were saying the hats. It's funny because a couple of weeks ago he had the hat too, the WWE hat. Oh, I heard. Yes, you guys were talking <laughs> about. It. I did not watch that footage. I mean, it ties into the NOSA with the Beverly Hills 90210 with Brandon Walsh's weird hat. So I think it was kind of the same thing. But yeah, he's just wearing gear. I don't know what he's doing. Is he mer- is he going to be a merch salesman now? So yeah, um, uh, what a low part of the totem pole that guy was. Like, as a guy that I used to fucking love so much. So yeah, but yeah, Triple H sucks. He brought the whole show down, the whole raw down to like just boring. All right. So our top five. Um, so this was a fairly easy top five for me because I'm going to go – I gave Edge my MVP, so three of these are going to be the other three guys who are in that four-way. Um, I'm also going to give a little bit to uh, Jericho, and uh, I think I'll go Booker T. I thought he was good. And I, t- I feel like he and Jericho kind of were the centerpieces of the tag match on Raw. But really the spotlight is the, the guys in that four-way all deserve you know, all the credit. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Benoit and Eddie were out there early, but yeah, Angle number one, uh, Jericho made Raw worth watching with his little segments and keeping that double match together. Taz, got to give it to Taz. I haven't listened to Taz commentary in a while, so <laughs> yeah. I was really excited to hear that and his little goofy thing and like watching Taz be goofy is always fun. And uh, I'm gonna give it for to Victoria because I really enjoyed mm-hmm. watching her and uh, tied it together well. So yeah, that's my top five. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, Rocco. This was this was real fun, man. Um, do you have Do you have anything that you would like to plug that you have going on, or maybe you're you know on Twitter or whatever social media you do or anything? Um, let's see. This is January. This is coming out. I mean, there's an old episode yes. of me talking about Christmas movies on the pop feed of Mount Rushmore. Oh, right. uh, I might be a little late for this, but uh, if right. you care about if you enjoyed my. Uh, stupid sounding voice uh i uh you know you can find me on facebook with most of the ptv guys as my friends i have a band called chain to the dead which is a death metal band where we sing about horror movies and wrestlers and uh that's on Bandcamp, itunes spotify amazon all that shit got a new video that just came on youtube it's a live uh video that a uh, guy made for us that's pretty cool and uh that's about it awesome i have a feeling that we're going to be hearing you more you know um in the in the near future rocco but um thanks for coming on and um thanks everybody for listening i'll be back in two weeks as always as we get closer to armageddon uh, 2002 happy uh 2022 as that's where we are in this uh, world um, but anyway i'll see you in a couple weeks thanks for listening Bye.